but martial art has a very very deep meaning as far as my life is concerned because uh, as an actor as a martial artist as a human being all these i have learned from martial art. Uh, martial art include all the combative arts like karate or judo. karate judo chinese kung fu or chinese boxing whatever you call it uh, all those you see like aikido korean i can go on and on and on but it's a competitive form of fighting i mean it's not some of them became sport but some of them are still not i mean they use for instance kicking to the groin jabbing fingers at the eyes and things like that you see actually i do not teach you know karate because i do not believe in styles anymore i mean i do not believe that there is such thing as like chinese way of fighting or the, or the japanese way of fighting or whatever way of fighting because unless human being have three arms and four legs we will have a different form of fighting mm. but basically we have only two hands and two feet so styles tends to uh, 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 not only separate men, you know, because they have their own doctrines, and then the doctrine became the gospel truth, you know, that you cannot change, you know, and but if you do not have style, if you just say, well, here, here I am, you know, as as a human being, how can I express myself totally and completely? Now that way, you won't create a style because style is a crystallization, you know. I mean that way. It's a process of continuing growth. I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. GlobalRecon.net, giving you the matter of facts. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. We have a good episode for you guys this week as I had Chantel Taylor on, British Army Combat Medic, and a frequent guest and co-host of the podcast. And then back on with us after uh, a brief period of time is Tu Lam from Ronin Tactics. Uh, Tu is a good friend of mine. He served in the Army for over 20 years. I would say about 80 or 90% of that time was spent in special operations and uh, two runs a successful tactical training company called Ronin Tactics. Uh, they teach shooting, uh, knife fighting, you know, hand-to-hand stuff, R- really good stuff. Um, so we, we have them on and we discussed, we mainly discussed Africa, as they both had a lot of experiences in Africa and uh, transnational terrorism and how it relates to Africa. We also got into uh, some other places in Southeast Asia. They both shared stories from their services and times and during different periods in Africa. And it was really good, really interesting. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot going on this week with uh, President Trump 
you know, entering a second week in office and he is quickly getting to work and signing a lot of executive orders, uh, getting the ball rolling and, and that sort of thing. Uh, there's a big, you know, big deal going on right now with the uh, ban, the temporary ban from uh, seven countries and people are protesting and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hectic. What I would suggest to people is to make sure you fully read everything and understand what's going on and then base your opinion off of that. Uh, try and, you know, try and not be biased. Obviously people lean towards the left or the right, but, you know, do your best to try and stay clear-headed, level-headed, and make the best decisions you can. Before we get into the conversation that I had with Tu and Chantel, I would like to send my condolences out to the family of Chief Special Warfare Operator William Ryan Owens, uh, 36, of Illinois. Uh, he was killed in action during a raid that was conducted a couple of days ago in Yemen, uh, they were going after some Al-Qaeda targets. Um, I was actually just going to announce his name as R.O. I, I hadn't realized that the military had publicly announced his name yet. Uh, he was a SEAL Team 6 operator, longtime member of the U.S. military, highly proficient. Uh, SEAL Team 6 is one of the premier special operations units uh, within the U.S. military, within the world, really. So huge loss. And, um, you know, it's just a reminder, you know, while people are here, you know, going about their daily lives or protesting or, you know, whatever it is, there are people who are out there doing, not talking, and putting their lives on the line for this country, as well as... Uh, his passing, several other members of the unit were wounded in action. And it just goes to show that the world is still a very dangerous place. And there's a lot going on and Americans are still making the ultimate sacrifice. So, you know, with that being said, now I will play the conversation that I had with Tulan from Rona Tactics and Chantel Taylor. Hey, what's going on, guys? We have a special episode for you guys this week. Uh, back on the podcast is Tulan from Ronin Tactics. Uh, Tu, what's up, brother? Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me back on. Great, man. Thank you for coming on. Co-hosting with me for this episode is Chantel Taylor. Um, Chantel, what's up? I'm good. Always good to be here, John. All right. So, you know, for this episode, I thought, and especially with the experiences and uh, backgrounds that both of you have, it would be a good idea if we can touch on uh, talking about Africa uh, for several different reasons. Um, one of them being it's become like a huge uh, hub for transnational terrorism. And, and then there's just a bunch of things that go on there that are very um, sort of ugly. And, and there's a it's very complex and there's a lot of different factors that factor in for why these things happen. And, and like I said, both of you guys have experience in Africa uh, and, and different kind of roles and facets. So, two, you, you spent a number of years serving in Africa. You said before, you know, it's very complex and, and it's not so black and white, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's out of all the areas of operation I worked in, I, I would say Africa was... Probably one of the most complex uh, geographic locations. 
now like for you know for for the mission set of you know green berets you know working like a fit type of mission phone alternative defense uh working with indigenous populations that would i would imagine be extremely complicated with the different kind of factions um whether it be a conflict over you know between two tribes that lasted for hundreds of years or whether it be some new terrorist group moving into the neighborhood and and the local government has to fight them uh it's very kind of difficult situation um it's real tribal it's real tribal there man you know and um you know the areas that I work when you know you have different militia groups uh like like Libya you know post civil war uh, post-Qaddafi regime, then you got these different militia groups that, you know, they have their loyalties to, you know, their their tribes and, you know, areas. So it's, uh, like I said, it's real complex. It's not declared war zone. So you don't have the freedom movement just go out and seek and kill uh, like we did over in the Middle East. And I think that's a real, a real good point there because I think the problem um, sort of, Although you have those sorts of groups, it's, it's so close um, to the sort of bottom half of Europe and the Middle East is that you have those outside influences who will go in and then take advantage of the, the warring factions, if you like. And then they can almost, um, I think, whereas it's, it's just so, uh, when you said it's, it is a unique place and it's u- uniquely graphically placed or geographically placed. So that allows then those out, outside influences to take advantage of their they're already massive problems, you know? So, I mean, that's, I think that is the issue with Africa is that there's so many different, I, I spent a lot of time in Sierra Leone, for instance, which is on the West, but mm-hmm. then the outside influences from people like the Lebanese that would be working there, they'd run the construction companies and they'd, and, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not a great thing to think about it, but then they sort of take advantage of the civil, the civil war that happened there. You know, there's always someone to, to come in and, and that's been happening in Africa since, well, since time began, I suppose. Yeah, it's a it's a continent with you know huge natural resources. You know, when when you talk yeah. about the diamonds and you know the you know the natural resources that you you'll find in Africa. You know, so they're they're coming in. Um, you know, guys are you know putting guys back into slavery. You know, tribes yeah. will come in and and uh, indoctrinate you know young kids into their uh, into whatever clan or uh, rebel force that you know that's coming in but the biggest thing that i see in 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 africa is the well first the the physical uh terrain you know like i i worked in the philippines i worked in europe uh you know john you know me i I worked in almost every continent because you know i've been in army for for 23 years but the whole but the whole thing is this, guys, that, you know, you got triple canopy jungle. You get these massive rivers that runs through. You have, um, you know, the, the Saharas. Uh, you have the urban build-up areas. So for me, it was a really complex uh, environment. You know, some of, sure. some, of the, some of the young special forces guys on our teams, they're not used to these triple canopy jungles, these prehistoric you know, looking jungles that we're, we're operating in. And uh, it was, it was really hard for us. And I think as well, like when you say that, that's, and that's so true, because regardless of how good a soldier you are, if um, this is before the enemy have even arrived, you've got all that to face. So it's all about, you know, you looking after yourself, you know, medically, there are so many things that can kill you in Africa before someone's even fired around, you know, and, and, and you see that a lot 
just malaria alone, you know, if yeah. you can sort of protect against all these things and you can have the best tactics in the world, but when you face terrain like that, it is a whole new beast. Absolutely, man. And, and it's crazy. Yeah. And, and you're right, Chantel, when, when we, um, like the mambo snakes, you know, when, yeah. when we're trolling <laughs> through Libya, I mean, they, they told us, like, if you get bit by a snake, yeah, that's it. I'm going to extract you out in time. You're going to die. We, you, yeah. we yeah. can't bring in anti-venoms, you know, so... Um, yeah, often, more often than not, the anti-venom, anti-venom used to ki- would kill people anyway. Yeah, you know, so sometimes it would almost be a case of if they couldn't identify the state, the snake that had bitten, or you know, it was a real kind of um, you just had to kind of, I, I hate to say it, ride the wave and just uh, treat um, symptomatically, see see what you were kind of faced with. Absolutely. Yeah, it's ugly. It's like it's like something out of Mad Max. That's what it reminds me of, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but that's the sort of things you face where you think this is. It's like crazy town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have all these training camps, you know, like Somalia, yeah. you know, uh, Mali and Chad, you know. So you get you have all these um, different, you know, uh, like Bakaram training camps, you know, that's that's going on. And and like I said, we can provide the intelligence, we can find fix, but you know, getting ex, you know, getting the execution order to finish uh, because it's not a clear war zone. Um, you know, you're going to go through channels. Yeah, and then even because the borders are so so loose, you know, people can just sort of filter in and out of these places, and you know, you'll never know they existed. If anyone filters then into, for instance, the Congo, there's no getting people out. No, you literally people are going, and again, it's not nice to say, but there's there's still cannibals in the Congo. Oh, they're absolutely. Still, there's you know these tribes that still hunt pygmies. I mean, you can again, it's, it's stuff you couldn't really even write. You know, it's this kind of um, it's it's quite scary, and it's it's one of those places I think we we ignore and we ignore, and then what happens is what what goes on in Africa sort of slowly filters out, and then as I said, they're so close, um, bordered with with Europe and then with the Middle East that it, it was only ever going to be a matter of time before it started to affect those areas, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you said that because when when we started doing the global pursuit piece, so. During halfway through, you know, the, the Middle East, um, yeah. we started doing the global pursuit. That means that we started going into these areas other than war and hunting these guys down. And um, Africa was a big thing. And whatever country in Africa that you're trying to affect, they'll, they'll just run across the border. Like Chantel said, you know, their borders are loose. Um, and then, of course, that country don't have the, you know, same political agendas that we have. You know, so they, they say, no, you're not going to operate in our country or, or whatnot. So it's it's really complex. Yeah. And then um, to add to that, the the UN and it's this, again, they they have their role. But some sometimes, especially for militaries, when I was serving, they they could create problems because we'd have, you know, the for instance, me getting a casualty from up country in Sierra Leone. I had to get through um, Nigerian run checkpoints. And basically we were there. There was a curfew and it. And it it literally was a case you had to have like a standoff, try and explain who you were, why you were trying to get down to the port to get a casualty through. All the while you've got like a 50 cal pointed at you. And I remember yeah. like debussing from the, the military kind of um, vehicle thinking, shit, this isn't, you know, and this was before I went to places like Iraq or Afghanistan. And I was just thinking this, I didn't, this isn't good. This isn't a good situation to be because these forces aren't, they have no loyalty to me. You know, yeah. or, or the British or whoever's operating there. And it was it was all very 
you know, and you, then you had Bangladeshis and all these these countries is, and they're all sort of they they all have their place. But again, I, I didn't like to. They're a bit trigger happy for my liking. Mm-hmm. So you know, you used to sort of do you take your life in your hands just getting through UN checkpoints at some stages. Yeah, and you know, a lot of these checkpoints are are um, they're fake checkpoints. You know, like yeah. <laughs> working in Yemen and Libya before. You know, I, I rolled up after doing you know a couple of operations, and um, you know, you roll up at two o'clock in the morning at a checkpoint. You don't know if these this checkpoint's real or not. You know, yeah. so yeah. Uh, that's and that's how we get kidnapped and we get taken away. So yeah, and I think even. Uh, the the Sudan was like a a safe haven for Osama bin Laden prior to 2001. Um, And, and like you said, there's a whole bunch of training camps with different groups like Boko Haram and, and, and kind of like the Philippines where, uh, you know, terrorists would filter in through the country, get some training and then uh, rotate back into the middle East and, uh, and then, you know, conduct their operations there. And now with the rise of ISIS, a lot of these groups in Africa are pledging allegiance to them, which could obviously create uh, much larger problems for the rest of the world. You know, what I see, John, is, you know, majorities, these um, these future terrorists is that they don't have an out, man. You know, so you have to put yourself in their shoes. You know, yeah, I can. I could be the guy who goes in and hate the enemy and, and drop a 500 pound J dam, you know, or, or go out and do direct action missions. But I see the bigger picture in that, you know, these, these are the guys that, you know, when they're eight years old, you know, these rebel forces will go into the villages and basically they'll, they'll gather all the, the villagers. Uh, they'll hand you an AK and say, gun down your, your mom and dad, or we're going to hack your sister up with a machete. And if you don't do it, then we'll hack you up with machete. You know what I mean? So they they grow up really fast. These rebels that we're fighting, they grow up really fast. And um, yeah, I had sorry. Unfortunately, they don't have an out. Just like you know, the Philippines, uh, Abu Sayyaf, they don't have an out, man. You know, so yeah. well. And I had that experience actually um, too in Sierra Leone. I used to deal with a lot of um, child combatants, and the youngest that I dealt with was seven, and he'd um, he'd had to kill his parents. And then was obviously um, went into the boy soldier type thing, and there were girls as well, and they they were they were so sort of these these kids were hardened soldiers. You know, they'd right. been killing um, their way through the the jungles of Sierra Leone, and when you saw them, you just thought. It, and and I'm not someone who sort of lacks hope. You know, I always think you know there's there could be a way if we understand, and I don't and I don't mean that as in a naive way. Like you say, if you understand your enemy, you've probably got a better chance of potentially um overcoming them you know and but then looking at these kids you think well how how can they possibly be rehabilitated after that how can you how can you not see those and that's the thing that it's a real battle to even try and um get around that sort of that that mindset that like you say has been instilled since they were kids you know and i i think what makes me more kind of humanize uh a lot of my enemies is that you know, I, I, I was born in Vietnam. I, I, uh, my, my family was gunned down on the streets of Saigon or the fall of um, uh, South Vietnam. And, you know, I barely escaped my life. And, and I couldn't, you know, so that's why I put myself um, in their shoes. You know, I understand that. And um, it, it's just, it saddens me to, 
to know that they don't have a future. And this, this is what, you know, this is what it comes down to. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because in a similar type of setup, like in the middle East, right. We, we talked about this on previous podcasts where it, it might not be so much that the guys you're fighting against absolutely hate you and, 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 you know, believe in the, group but they it's economically the smartest thing for them to do there's no yeah, way they for have them no to choice get money right it's yeah. like you know here's you know a hundred bucks plant this this bomb on this road and and watch it from across the street when an american tank rolls over press the button on the cell phone and we'll pay you you know and yeah and they can distance themselves from that to them right. they don't see the flags coming home that you know and let's face facts in afghanistan cultivating poppy was going to pay a lot more for than um than helping you know foreign soldiers if you like you know so that's that's what they've been getting a living from that forever i know obviously i've just digressed all the way over to afghanistan but it's it's the same thing isn't it if if there's nothing better to offer then what we're humans you know humans need to survive and that's what people do right and it's kind of like um in, in somalia like with the somalian pirates uh you know they're for years, their industry was fishing, and then yeah, these, historically, yeah, yeah, these huge multinational corporations came and overfished the water, and now there's no more fish in the water. So now, what do they do? You know, they have access to weapons. Um, they get their weapons. They, I don't know if they yeah. do any type of training, but and then they start hijacking boats. You know, so now you have uh, you know counterterrorism hostage rescue units deploying and going after these these pirates and killing them in some cases and when you really sit down and think about it can you blame these guys for for their actions you know they're going to do what they do to survive man you know and unfortunately like you know in the philippines um these countries that they send us in you know, these countries don't want to solve the problem because if they really want to solve the problem we can actually go in there and we can find fixing and and kill um them pretty quick the the issues that we run into is that you know when the hc and the and the country teams are working with you know their country whatever host nation country we're operating in is you know let's just say the philippines why would they want us to eliminate their problems versus sending us in giving them training supplying mm -hmm. them with equipment feeding their troops giving them, you know, uh, modern day equipment. So it's, it's a political agenda for them, you know? Yeah. The it, time. yeah it's, it's not about, Hey, let's go ahead and destroy this, this, this tribe that's, you know, uh, causing havoc in my country. Let me go ahead and milk you and your country. Uh, so you can go ahead and equip and train my military force. And it's the foreign aid that's, and that foreign aid that gets to the country and, and it, that sort of corruption goes right to the top, and you you often find a lot of the, and they call themselves royals and stuff. Even in, back in Africa, they they're so wealthy, and then the disparity, if you like, between them and the the guy on the street is just, I mean, it's crazy. Even worse than what the way we would see it in our in our own countries is that they people on the street basically have nothing, and you know you'll see um, the government officials cutting around and you know. Um, B6, B7 armored Mercedes and all sorts of crazy uh, vehicles, you know, and that's that's right. They they do get a lot of money from us and foreign aid, and they're not going to want that to stop that coming. Mm -hmm. That's right. 
Right. And like, a, let's say like a, a country like uh, Pakistan, right? They, for years, they their intelligence services were, you know, tr- training, equipping these, these different groups in an effort to combat the Indians in Kashmir. And, and then when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, they, they then turned to, uh, redirect a lot of these groups to Afghanistan to, to fight against the Soviets. And then the Americans got involved. And when the war ended in Afghanistan, uh, America pulled out and then they were no longer sending money. They were no longer training and providing weapons. And then the country fell into a civil war. And then they had a beef with us from that. And, um, some of Osama bin Laden's beef with America stemmed from that. And then from there, some of these groups would, were then spending a lot of their time, you know, plotting and planning attacks against uh, Western targets. Yeah, that's right, man. I mean, think about how many countries we went into um, supply, equip and train and leave and having to go back a few years later and fight the same guys we trained. Right. You know? Yeah. And they're deploying our, our tactics, you know, so, you know, the special forces, when we're teaching them along with the, the Navy SEALs, you know, we're teaching them, you know, to a certain aspect, our tactics, because we have to give them that institutional knowledge because we have to utilize them uh, on the battlefield. You know, um, we're only, you know, as an ODA, we're only 12 men deep, if even that. So how can you overthrow a government or 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 change the tide of a war or civil war? We don't have the numbers, so we have to we have to force multiply. Uh, unfortunately, when we demobilize a lot of these forces, uh, they still have that experience and that training. So um, yeah, and there'll always, always be one, won't there? And that's that's quite it's demoralizing, you know, to say the least. That blokes go over there, and and rightly so. You're doing your job, and then potentially the the guys that you've trained sort of beneath you in your own country are going to face enemies that are, you know like you say going to employ those tactics back on you and I, and I can say that as a brick because obviously we've happened had that happen for quite a few centuries now yeah. <laughs> you know just with all the sort of uh I, I don't I don't like to use the word fuck-ups but I will the fuck-ups that we've potentially made around the world on our sort of voyage of discovery you know it's just but in, in some ways and I again I, I'd rather be in the position that we are than, than the position that they are and I don't say that lightly I just if I look look at the, the time that I'd spent in Africa especially with um uh potentially the stuff coming up um soon then I'd, I'd much rather be doing it from from my point of view than having to be helped because that's then it's not a good position and we spoke about it briefly John about the use of um HIV as a biological weapon now and as as, as as bad as that sounds, you know, that's actually happening, that people believe that. They believe that they can kind of wipe out certain tribes in certain areas by using that. And you just think, well, you know, where are we at? That that feels like that's going back in back in time. Yeah, I mean, we the, the Americans employed that against the Native Americans, you know. Right. So, <laughs> you know, the, so biological warfare is always there. Yeah. Yeah. I used to do you used to carry that. Um I think we used to call it uh was it bats? What do we call uh we used to have a little med pack for um biological um weapons when we deployed. It was this and I don't know, uh, do you know, even to this day I'm sure it didn't fucking work. If something <laughs> happened, that little pack of pills was not gonna cure me. No, you know, with no. whatever cri- bad sort of bad thing they put into me. But yeah, we still had it. Well yeah, when when the um 
when the Iranians and the Iraqis were having their war in the 80s, you know, we had at some point, I don't know. Like you made it sound like a disco, John, when they were having their little... Uh... Right, yeah. <laughs> when they were dancing. Um, <laughs> they, at some point, they, you know, certain elements of Western governments were training um, the Iraqi government in, in these chemical weapons. And then... Saddam used it against the Kurds. He gassed them, and yeah, then he used was... it against the Iranians, and it was pretty mm. bad, you know. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, that was horrific, wasn't it? And, and again, I'd um, I don't, I wasn't lucky enough. I had to. Do, I remember having to do the old, uh, the um, chemical, biological, radiological, um, nuclear warfare um, course, and learning all about that stuff, and actually seeing seeing what happened to the Kurds and thinking, oh, yeah, they're real, they're, that's real people. That's not like a testing facility. It's yeah. not someone saying, gas, 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 take, you know, that these are kids, you know, just, that was horrific, wasn't it? I think throughout my whole life, man, it's like reinforced throughout different continents, um, different countries and continents is that, you know, the world, I, I could say it's a cruel place, you know, and I, yeah. People tell me, oh, do you think the, the you know majority of the world is a corporate? Yes, I do. I, I do. And just because the nature of, of our job is they put us in the worst places in the world. And I saw how cruel uh, the human race can be to each other. And and it's, uh, it's disturbing, man. You know, yeah. it's disturbing. Yeah, and, p- and people, are, even people that don't think they're capable, that potentially are listening, everyone's almost capable of that that cruelty because I think when it comes down to people get sort of put into corners and I'd, I'd like to think that I'd, you know, I certainly wouldn't be wanting to um, commit some of those atrocities, but you just, how do they get there? There's, there's someone, you don't just get born and all of a sudden you're a, a crazy dictator. You know, this, this is almost a culmination of these you know people's lives and their experiences. And yeah, and, and you're right. It's, it's scary how cruel people can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to like Thailand, for instance, like Thailand's one of those places, and I've been there on holiday. It's a beautiful place, but again, there's there's things that in the deepest um, depths of Thailand, there's, there's there's shit going on that shouldn't be going on. But again, because it's not um, it's not classed as one of those places that we really have any business, but it's still going on. You know, yeah. and it, we may potentially turn a blind eye to some some places. Uh, but like you say, if you've you've be, uh, had experience of these war zones all over the world you do uh, i i see my picture as being bigger now some people might say oh you're in the military so you have a very tunneled view well it couldn't be further from the truth because i i feel like my view's that much bigger yeah you're just more experienced you're seeing yeah. the realities of the world instead of just the surface layer of the world yeah yeah it, it's funny because you know like occasionally on online you know you'll kind of run into like people who are trolling or People who are no like, way, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, really like anti type of military stuff, mm. or you know, all over the world, right? And I remember this one dude kept commenting on, on one of my posts, and and he was arguing with some some infantry guy, I forget who it was, but you know, he kept saying things like, "Yeah, well, you you know, you yeah, you say you've seen the world, but you only saw it from the military perspective, so you don't know shit," and. It's really, I remember reading that comment and thinking that's such an interesting statement to make because as you guys have said, you know, you've been all over the world in different type of roles and so therefore you see more things. And it's just interesting how that guy 
based on what he was saying, really revealed how narrow his view was. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And you know, and, and talking about that, I remember even as a tourist, this wasn't a job. I was in Cuba, and but because I am military, I have I look at it different to someone who just goes and jumps on the plane because I I, I don't know whether that's just in, ingrained in my brain, but I do see things that potentially other people don't see, and it's not because I'm a ninja. It's just because of the experiences I've had in other places. As I said, my view's just far more open. So that that little um, the guy that or the the young kid that potentially is there as a prostitute that no one really notices. I can see that. I can see that happening. And it's not to say that's not an awesome thing to have, but that's just again that's part and parcel of you. You have been around the world, so you do. Even if you're a holiday maker, doesn't necessarily mean you don't see. Even in the countries that we go on holiday, there's the shit happening, you know? Yeah, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Like Thailand, everybody sees, you know, yeah. um, and uh, you see Phuket and all, all these nice tourist places. Well, they put me in southern um, Thailand fighting the, the, you know, the drug wars. And I could tell you that, you know, Thailand is not a safe place. You know, the Philippines is not a safe place. Indonesia and all those areas, you know. Uh, and once they, they kidnapped you and put you in the jungles... Um, I don't care what unit and how proficient that unit is, it's going to be hard to find you. Very hard to find you. Yeah, and it's right, isn't it? And that's the thing people get, you know, that I always thought about guys or girls, you know, going across and renewing visas and, and people would laugh and I'd say, you know, you need to potentially travel and, you know, travel in pairs or do, or do something or, but again, you, you try and you try and explain to travelers and they just, you come across as some kind of nut job. Like as if you're like so um, risk averse, and I, it's not that at all. It's just that to me, it's common sense. Right. And I, and and I'm happy that I have those experiences. I'm happy that I have that I travel like that. I still have a, a great time. I just don't, you know, just wander around and um, clueless. Yeah, you know, and if people just do open source research before they go into a country. Yeah. And, and kind of see what the history is and, you know, are they pro-American, anti-American, you know, what are the safe havens in that area and borders, you know, how if, if I need to, you know, extract myself out of that country, yeah. you know, yeah. can I physically walk through the borders, you know, and we have done that, you know, you know, in our missions, we have uh, walked across borders uh, for extraction plans. So, you know, why, why aren't people thinking this when they go into these foreign countries? They think everything is safe. And, and I'm telling you, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then it's almost, it's just, I, don't, I don't like to say it, it's a surprise then when, you know, you, you could be lying on the beach and someone turns up with an AK and starts spraying the beach down. You know, there's, if, if there's something that's bubbling in a, in a country, and we do, there's plenty of sites out there to help people. You know, then they should be encouraged. Is it? It's, you're, you can find out actually, even if you're just looking at the weather. You know, that doesn't make you um, paranoid. And what comes along with the weather is a few other little sort of tips and and travel tips. You know, I don't think that hurts anybody, especially if you're traveling with kids. That's right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because there are like groups that uh, online, you know, encourage travel. And I believe at one point, I think I hit both of you up to <laughs> ask you what you thought about like Egypt, right? <laughs> and and like in, in these groups, it's like all these people, none of them have any type of military experience or law enforcement experience. And a lot of times it's like 
single women who travel to these countries like Egypt yeah. by themselves with no kind of plan or, or you know what would you do if if uh you're somewhere and you know people start shooting a big shootout goes down or you know and I'm just like it's because of these kind of people that these hostage rescue units are are required you know um yeah. and and then obviously in in some cases there are people doing good work in in dangerous places and and they get kidnapped but um you know I just find it kind of amazing to me and I remember, you know, getting a bunch of different opinions and then I'm like, all these people with different type of military experience, combat deployments, wouldn't go to this certain place for a vacation, yet someone who has no experience in that area would. It's just kind of crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's almost um, like in Egypt in, in particular is that's, you, it's obviously it's um, it's on the continent of Africa, but it's still classed as the Middle East. So they're kind of in a really interesting position geographically. So um, I'm sure my advice was don't go, John. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and you're right. People do, and and it's almost like I, they make you feel like the freak. <laughs> but that's fine. I'm all good. I'm I'm good being that freak because I'd yeah. rather, you know, and the people that I love, if I give them the advice or and they and people take it, then that's all well and good. But um, it's, it's certainly uh, it's always worth researching places before you go, and, and, and that includes that includes the UK, the US. You know, Jesus, we could there's places in the UK you wouldn't go on your own. You know, so that's not a case of just picking bad spots. There are places just to be, like London, for instance. You know, I've I remember being out on a, a social night and thinking I drank too much. And I found myself walking for a cab for a little bit longer than I anticipated, and thought, hang on a minute, this is not probably the best idea I've ever had you know and so that's what I'm saying you've just it's just those little markers that you just can kind of if, if it doesn't feel right it's because it's not you know it's always a case something that I like to live by right and Chantel you so outside of the military you've done work mm-hmm. for an organization uh in Africa uh that deals yeah, with, that's, with like rape and stuff the, like that can we talk about that yeah uh, yeah briefly it's um they're called gender-based violence so it's GBV uncovered and it's an online think tank. And what they're trying to do is um, they're doing a lot of crowd mapping to try and stop, um, in particular, actually, in the, the DRC. So that uh, a lot of the time, and, and this is the, in, the, in their sort of families, women have to go and collect water. And, and they do actually a lot more um, of the heavy work than the men. That's, that's just culturally the way it is. So they do a lot of walking and they have to be out there on their own um, for quite a lot of the time. And what happens is they come across areas that are, are quite sort of renowned rape areas. So what we're trying to do is um, a, educate them in those the areas, not to the sort of no-go areas, by mapping where instances, incidences have occurred. And then, I mean, it, it's not great to have to help people once it's happened, but giving them the sort of 72-hour um, rules of after-rape, you know, how they can kind of help themselves. It, it's not about us going there to say, do this, this is what we do. It's about... I, you know, trying to empower them to try and help themselves because I think ultimately, even where we go on operations now, we do have to we we pull away, you know, and we we come out. So you have to, and I I hope you know potentially stop some of this happening. But again, and I I don't I'm never one that sort of lacks hope, but Africa sometimes is is hard, isn't it? It's hard to sort of ingrain that in people because you know that people are really resilient there and they do put up with an awful lot. So. They just seem to crack on, which is 
you know, I'm not too sure that I would do, be able to do the same in the, some of the situations that they found themselves. You know, they've still got syphilis still is still cutting around in Africa and all these other crazy, wonderful diseases. So mm. it's just it's more about education than actual um, physical um, some, moving people. Some of the you know places that I went into, you know, the way they prepare their food, uh, I, I can see why they have you know a lot of the dysentery. Yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> So a lot of times we're just like, we look at our medics and we're like, oh my God, what are yeah. we, you know? And, no, no, and that's the thing is, and those, those little things that they're trying to educate people and, and you have. Hello. Yeah. Sorry. I was cut off there. Um, yeah. So basically, so when you go into, you have to accept hospitality. It's part of culturally, you know, you get the advisors come in, right. Don't do this. It's rude take your shades off it's rude so you get all these different things so when you're trying to not accept a cup of tea because you know that you're going to end up with dysentery or not dysentery you're going to end up with at least with diarrhea and you don't want that you know in a country like that because you're going to be out for a few days and i and i've literally seen guys come in and say you know chantel and they, they hand you their sleeping bag or their dos bag and it's full of diarrhea and you're like what am i going to do with this you know what that's not but it's almost like it's, it's like proof that they have it like cheers i didn't really need that <laughs> i'll take your word for it then you know ciproxin or something you know give them some sort of miracle pill but still it's a real um it's not good is it and two you know about this and you guys if you're out for days the last thing you want to have is stomach bugs oh it's horrible and you know the mission's going to continue regardless yeah. of, you, of diary or not I, uh, you know, this might sound sick, but I, you know, I have conducted, you know, missions patrolling with, you know, 100 plus pound rucksacks and shitting down my leg. You know, <laughs> I can't stop. I've heard that. So I know that yeah. That's true. It sucks. You know? and, uh, your stomach hurts. You're dehydrated. You're going down. But, you know, mission first. Right. So. Yeah. You know. So that's that's why you do the utmost to avoid it. You know, it's right. And that's the thing, you've only got, you've only got a touch of leaf and then someone's got the shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's interesting um, because like two, specifically for, you know, Green Berets, part of the, the, the job requirements is to really do your research on an area before you go in, like understand, you know, customs and that sort of thing. So how would you guys deal with that type of thing? Well, you have to be real, man. You know, like, when I go into a country, you know, I have to understand that, you know, a lot of them, some of the places I've been into is so tribal they haven't seen an Asian guy. Like, I'm the first Asian guy they've ever seen. You know? Yeah, and um, you have to kind of overcome that. Um, you know, there's only so many open source or closed source information on some of these areas. So you're kind of pulling as much as you can, pulling up imagery open and closed source and, and, and trying to really dissect your area operation and, and, and try to understand this. But even regardless, you know, how much you study, once you hit the ground, it's when you truly understand, you know, these people, because mm -hmm. we do live with them, you know, the, the grass huts and the tribes and, uh, we, we live with them, we eat their food, um, because that's, you know, we need to be as close to our rebel, our partner force as possible, you know, so we need to build that rapport. You know, and I read a, a really interesting piece actually too, and, and I'm sure it must have been. I'm sure it was your. I'm sure it was the Green Berets, and it was um, one tribe at, at a time. It was yeah. written by a group in Afghanistan, and it was yeah. this was the paper before the book, and it was amazing. 
it was like um and they they were basically um teaching this tribe to defend themselves and and i, I think it it worked you know it was one of those things of why i couldn't really understand why everyone else wasn't doing something like that yeah, yeah. and it you know it, it appeared to be working but you're right and even med- from a medical perspective you know i've seen some weird and wonderful medical treatments coming out of these places and oh, you yeah. have to kind of politely say it's just not the way we do it you know I, and i've seen a guy had really severe elephantitis you know it, was an, it started off as an infected wound and and then i walked in and the someone was painting black tar on it and i thought you know what the fuck's that doing and they were saying you know that they thought because it was almost like covered it was if you couldn't see it it wasn't happening you know and it was yeah got things got quite weird yeah well actually <laughs> like one of my first mission was in laos uh laos and uh we had to do demining missions but it was a med cap mm-hmm. this is before the war um so special forces special operation itself we, we want to saturate different continents regardless there's a war going on we want to be able to be in that continent so if anything happens in that continent we can quickly react yeah. um yeah. So we, we were doing a lot of these different med caps before the war, and uh, I went into Laos, and we were doing demining missions and med caps. And I remember seeing one of these uh, tribals, um, the tribes, and he, he actually missed he, – he was hacking this tree, and he missed the, the branch and hacked up its leg with a machete. Mm-hmm. And um, what they did was they put sawdust into the cool. – yeah, and they thought, hey, we'll just pack with some sawdust and some mud, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he got really infected. Um, and, but, and and they just – and they think that that's normal. Like, oh, well, he, yeah. wouldn't, he wasn't going to survive. He, you know, if that – that should have worked. No, yeah, probably not. Yeah, you definitely see some crazy stuff overseas. Yeah, and even with snake bites, I, just a, a funny incident I record because the guy um, – we, we fixed it. But they'd had he'd been bitten on the the toe, so they were they sliced above and below it, and so I'm what you know what what are you doing? And then uh, then you've seen all this sort of coagulated, dark dark blood coming out, and I thought well clearly that's and they'd put you know place a tourniquet on, and and although it was weird, it worked. But then I, I and then then part of my brain saying well maybe that wasn't um, poison you know, ven- venomous and stuff like that, but. Yeah, if if you're gonna if you if you want to see some weird and wacky medicine, get get yourself to the jungle. Yeah, yeah. and Shante, you know, like I do, man. It's like those jungles, dude. They will eat you alive. The the, the wildlife, yeah. those jungles. You are definitely at the bottom of the food chain. You just because you have a weapon on you doesn't mean anything. You know, some of these, yeah. uh, some of our ballistics won't even go through some of the, uh, some of these wildlife, you know, reinforced skin, you yeah. know, so, and they will hunt you like they're, they're, they're predators. Yeah. So if you're patrolling through the jungles, they will hunt you. They catch your scent. They will track you for days and, and hunt you down. So <laughs> it's horrible. And do you know, the, yeah. only, the only guys I ever saw that looked relatively comfortable in the jungle were the Gurkhas. Oh yeah, I love it. Because you know, I remember like we had, and I had, I loved the Gurkhas. And what someone was walking around in bare feet, and I remember me, and I'm just sat thinking, this is just sort of taking in the, the sounds, the smells, and just trying to basically not get freaked out. And yeah, the, these Gurkhas were just so comfortable, and they they obviously found my initial stages, you know, really humorous. But they were brilliant, you know. They just kind of we got over that, and I obviously pretended to be really cool with it. 
Even though, yes, it's one of those places. It was probably Sierra Leone was probably my my favourite tour, but one that I'm, I wouldn't be keen to repeat. Yeah, you know, one of those. Yeah, I have plenty of those <laughs> type <laughs> countries. <I've never laughs> yeah. Even when it's on, like you know, on TV, uh, I would turn it. <laughs> Yeah, Which, it's horrid, isn't it? The thing I learned is that, you know, as Americans or as a civilized, uh, you know, uh, group of people, you know, we, we are weak, you know. It takes a good person to say that, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell you this, man, you know, just just because you, you know, you've been through some of the, the hardest training that, you know, the the world has to offer. When I when I enter these tribal regions these guys are incredibly strong, you know, um, incre- because they, they work manual labor throughout their whole life. You know, they don't have the luxuries of getting in a car and driving. They walk for three days. Yeah, their it, pain threshold is huge, isn't it? Amazing. Amazing. Because even the kids, and you, and you think if, you know, I look at um, my my sort of family members and they've got to fall over and, you're, and we're all over them because as we would be, but the kids out there, and they're nails. Mm-hmm. They're literally can walk up to you with the digits missing and it's like this it's like it's no big deal yeah yeah, yeah it's too when when we were doing the um the knife fighting class over here in new york i remember you mentioned that you know, through some of your experiences and training uh you know foreign foreign nation soldiers or rebels some of the the techniques you know for like uh like you know, getting a knife out of a guy's hand was incredibly difficult for you to do with some of these guys, just because of like their natural strength, right? Yeah, man. Like some of these guys, if they if they grip my hands, you know, they it's it's hard for me to to break that grip, you know. And um, they're just incredibly strong group of uh, humans, you know. So, um, how you have to target different enemies, you know, so. You know, when when we talk about targeting guys, you know, we take that in consideration that they're able to move longer distance than we are. They're able, they they understand their terrain. They know how to move. They they're, go longer without water and food and stuff yeah. like that. Do yeah. Yeah, we're just spoiled soldiers, you know, and yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I hate to say that to to the teams, but we are. We we're spoiled, you know. Yeah, but in a, in a good in a good way, you know. And it, I suppose it's not a bad thing. I suppose if could you imagine then if they made your training as but as hard as it is, and then oh by the way guys, we're just going to add this little bit. <laughs> you know, you're just going to be stuck out there for two years, and you know. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I when I was in my twenties, I went to the the Thailand's Ranger School, and uh, oh, not wow. that America Ranger School wasn't hard enough. That sucked, but Thai Ranger School they actually have water discipline, so they don't only like starve you. Um, you actually have to ration your water as well, you know, and, um, you know, you're going on these long targets, you're burning up to 5,000 calories a day and, you know, yeah. triple canopy jungle. So yeah, you have to learn how That's to adapt. Cool. Yeah. You have to adapt really fast or you're going to go down. And how, how did it feel just to this one moment? So how did it feel when you were on one of those patrols and you're obviously hanging out? And when I say hanging out, it just means it's not good. Um, and then a little kid just comes sidling by you as if nothing's happening. Because that, that's what usually happens, isn't it? You'll see some and some kid just hanging around in the jungle like it's nothing. Yeah, like in and their little shit. 
walking barefooted yeah. with your <laughs> pygmy spears and they'll they'll look at you and your uniform ripped up and you know you can't even walk 500 <laughs> meters without collapsing <laughs> and they're just walking like it's a little amusement park so yeah I know. it's funny so on that note too when are we gonna um when are we gonna see you put pen to paper because you've got a lot of stuff to so i mean it'll be interesting to tell you know, I when I first got out of the Army, I'm still – so I retired last year in May, right? So mm-hmm. everything is still new to me with this civilian world. Um, oh, you've got a while and, to go. Yeah, it's it's like a fish <laughs> out of water a little bit. Not not in a bad way. It's just, you know, yeah. I've been in the military for 23 years. A lot of the um, – a lot of my operations are kind of sensitive in nature. So we're, we have to go over the DOD process. Yeah. on um you know uh with the opsec so I, I that's where i am right now but i want my book to be more about uh humanity uh versus kicking indoors and you know the direct action realm uh, i want it to be more about life's lessons you know living in these tribes and and loving you know these these foreign countries loving the people that i'm training more than kind of love for your own safety you know you yeah. you care about your own safety more than you care about your own safety and that grows with time doesn't it as in you spent a lot of time with people something does happen you know and you I don't, yeah i know what you're saying there and that that would actually make it even maybe more special to write and you're and you're right about the clearances and things like that that's yeah. i think is important and especially as you serve for such a long time i think that that'll be amazing when that happens you know what's cool, Chantel, was when because um, I came out of the Middle East and Africa was one of my uh, my last continents I worked in, and you know I, I was sitting in Cameroon up in uh, the border of Buna Megiddo. We're we're um, doing an anti poaching campaign, so we're we're fighting the Chads, Chad rebels that were yeah. coming. And I, I found my peace, man. I, you know, I was sitting in this grass hut, and I remember looking out in the, in the Sahara and you know and and seeing this wildlife and. You know, for for a brief moment, I, I kind of found my peace because I was connected back to the world, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, Africa is, you know, you, you travel some places. That was the beginning of time. You, you still yeah, yeah. see it, you know, and, and some you of these. And you, see, you don't you wouldn't get a better sky, I don't think, than Africa. No. You know, the, the and I, I don't want to sound like a, a boffin, but even like the cloud formations, you get you don't see skies like that. Yeah. And that's what I, I, I kind of want to capture in the book, right? I want to yeah. capture those essence. And, you know, there's enough commando type of books, but there's not enough books about, you know, humanity and, and why we do what we do. Right. Yeah. And for those type of books to, you know, with the book that you're describing that you would aspire to write, you really have to go back hundreds of years, if not thousands of years and get writings from he's not that old john no i'm obviously not. <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> but yeah you know like the, like you said there's a lot of like those kind of commando books and and obviously you know there's a, a space for it you know but yeah definitely for those kind of like philosophical writings from warriors you really have i haven't read something like that and that was put out in more recent times it's kind of you know a couple hundred years ago uh, you got to pick it up yeah, and yeah. a lot of the and a lot of the um, quotes that you use, John, you know that that's what you mean, isn't it? That you sort of go back in yeah. things like the art of war. You know, you have because a lot of soldiers, and this is another uh, misconception. A lot of soldiers are very bright. 
And just because they're very skilled with their hands and potentially the the art of killing people doesn't mean that they don't feel. Right. They don't, you know, have lots of philosophical thinking, and but and there's a time and a place for that, and and obviously when you when you leave or when you you reach a point where you you're able to sort of like you say make peace, then that's there's a lot in there to say, and that a lot that people would want to hear. I'd I'd certainly want to hear it. Yeah, you know, and and there was a time in, in my life I, I I lost you know um, a few really good friends of mine um, in front of me. And, and I tell you, it, it changed me where um, I, I was fighting with the, the element of hate, you know, the element of fire. If, if you study Eastern um, teachings and um, the element of fire is great, but, you know, you can only fight so long with hate, you know, before you lose your sense of purpose. And, um, you know, I, I found that, you know, when I, I was lost uh, for a little bit after the war, it, it was because I had so much hate in me. And you, you have to learn to let go and, and be human again and not dehumanize certain religions or race. You know, you, yeah. you have to. And, and and don't forget why we did what we did, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and, and you've, you're right about that, because I think people that can't bring themselves back from that tend to. And I'm not, I don't like to use the word success, but I'm trying to think of a better word. But they're less. It, it doesn't make you a better soldier, does it? That hate. It no. does, you know. It's it's effective for that point, but you actually, you you can almost become quite blinded. And, and I've seen it in guys, you know, that have been on, on, they're on ops and they're, you know they're they're continually they get that sort of um, chronic burnout, and mm-hmm. you can see in their faces and in, in their eyes, it's almost like you need to get that back, yeah. whatever that you know what. And you obviously had lost that too, and it's. You know, and, so, and, and I don't know how I was able to see it in these guys. Maybe it was because I was quite close to them. But you just think, yeah, and it's it's nice to see it when it's back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the the Eastern philosophy is interesting too because if you think about it, some of the the kind of brightest minds to come out of you know feudal Japan were obviously very smart individuals, and then. They went through, you know, hundreds of years of of war. And after, you know, hundreds of years of war, a lot of what they went through was written down and documented and people try to make sense of it. And and then they they did a very kind of interesting and what I think is pretty clever where they combined uh, certain aspects of religion with their warrior code. And it really created something that people still seek you know hundreds of years later uh you know with different uh, writings and teachings and it's something that you have said that has helped you kind of find yourself again which i find very interesting yeah you know when you disconnect yourself from the, the very essence that made us human beings you know um it's just the, the beauty of nature, you know, uh, the, the samurais, uh, the way of Bushido is to, to balance the, the violent lifestyle with some kind of serenity, serenity through education, poetry, art, you know, what, whatever it is. And, you know, we're not the first breed of warriors in history, you know, and we're not going to be the last. So why not study from past warriors, uh, study the way that they uh, conducted themselves, studied a way that they are able to fit back into society. Now, w- with that said, society, it's different nowadays. We're, we're a softer society. Back in the old days, you know, the warrior class was a respected uh, class. They knew that the warriors 
we're going to go and protect our way of life. And they, they respected that. Today's world, uh, I, I feel like majority are disconnected from what the soldiers are doing. You know, we're yeah. going in and fighting for the, the, the freedom of these people and they're, they don't see it, nor do they care. No. No. Santel, we, we kind of touched on that. Uh, yeah, we did. With, and it's, with, and, uh, and it's so true with yeah. like with people, um, like, and, and then back to what you were saying that the, the words that they use, that they, they were able to, um, and I, I know this from the way I feel is that I read some of their um, teachings and you, and you see that they can, they could kind of sum up how you are feeling in the sort of warrior code in a really short sentence. And you're right. And with the disconnect now that we have um, nowadays, it's almost, um, you know, people look, can look down upon soldiers and, and, and we still sign, I believe that a soldier still signs up to the same ethos that they did hundreds of years ago. But unfortunately what's happened is, it, you know, you're fighting wars that are way overseas that people feel completely disconnected from. And, yeah, I, and yeah. you know, there's almost like they, they don't care, which is. And it's so easy to, to watch the media like the, yeah. the news because Vietnam was probably the first war that was uh, broadcast real time, like, you know, yeah. propaganda. This, this is what's going on. And instead of Americans going, Hmm, Wow, look at what our Americans are doing, you know. Yeah. Uh, I feel sorry for our Americans are dying. The first thing they said is, oh, well, you're killing innocent people. Uh, yeah. You're killing yeah. babies. Not even putting themselves uh, in our shoes. I, I had a lot of, uh, on social media, I had a few um, uh, people around the world saying, hey, how do you feel about killing kids? Well, I never killed a kid, but I know the realities of war. And I know when these bombs are dropped, that um, innocent lives could be taken. You know, I, I understand yeah. the realities, but I'm willing to to put myself in these foreign countries to try to help this these foreign group of people I never met versus sitting around on the internet and bad mouthing our soldiers. Right. Yeah. And that's the difference. And and I, I feel like you know society nowadays are disconnected with what's going on on the battlefield. But even if you look at just what's happening now in this, I know, I mean, this is, it almost opens up a whole can of worms, but just the way that people are acting right now, it's, it's almost, it's gone off piece, doesn't it? And again, with the help of the me media are obviously just showing what they want to show to fuel whichever fire they wish to be burning today. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, we often have these discussions, John, don't we, off air, yeah, yeah. when you just, it's kind of, you just don't. I feel like we're in the, potentially in a movie set at the moment. Yeah. So I should say film set. I should stick. I'm going to stick to my British roots. Film set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's gone. It's gone nuts, hasn't it? So I wonder where. Yeah, where the next frontier will be. No, and and one of the things that really bothered me. I told you, John, about this. Um, was one of my friends died uh, overseas from an IED, and. Um, you know, I, I went back to his hometown to to bury him. You know, yeah. I, I carried his body, and and um, when I went there, you know, there's this group of Christians, obviously they're extremists, and uh, you know, they spit on us. You know, as no I was, way. yeah, and they had these signs. They said, "Thank God for dead soldiers," yeah. and and you're, you know, you're, you know, Obelia was his name. He said, "Obelia is going to hell, and and you're going to hell." And so and you know, how's that? That is just not. You know, I don't care where you, where anyone's from. That is just completely 
you know, it makes me angry. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to be angry. Yeah. You know, at these people and, you know, and they're waving the American flag that they're Americans. And but yet they're they're praising yeah. they're praising that, you know, hey, thank God for dead Americans, you know, yeah. dead and we're we're fighting for their way of life. You know, and uh, it's, it's it sucks because those same people you know they'll they'll have their protest they'll it'll be organized and set up and they'll spit on the very people who would then turn around and protect them and they're yeah. okay with that and to me that's it's so hypocritical like i don't know how you could look at yourself in the mirror after you do something like that you know because those are the same people that you know the second something got physical someone put their hands on them they go running right to the police or you know someone yeah and that's a, and i was going to i was going to mention the police there the police get the same you know, the first, everyone's like hating on the police. And the first person you're calling that, you know, when it all goes a bit, gets a bit hairy and you're, you know, you're not used to, or you, you, you get a bit scared, you know, and then you see it and it, and again, I get angry thinking about it. So obviously maybe I haven't found my piece yet because <laughs> it just, you just think, well, I don't, I don't get, and you're right, John, how people face themselves. And then, and, and more often than not, they have no real argument. They have no, there's no depth to the argument. We can all stand there, yeah, that this is shit, that's shit. But so why? Right. Yeah, you know, there's no, there's no depth. And I, and I, even with this, in fact, I'm not going to go there because that's not for this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's a better person all the time, you know, and 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 yeah. people. Take that for granted that, you know, and I, I do, uh, I, at least I try to to walk the path of Bushido. Uh, I, I believe in the Eastern philosophies and the teachings that my mother gave me and, and uh, that's handed down. through. But that's the thing about you, about you, someone like you too, is that you are, you know, if you're in front of somebody, that how capable you are as a soldier and a warrior and, and all of those other things that someone would, it's not to say to dare because but it's just like, wow. That that someone could be that brave and think, well, they, they, you just said in my head it doesn't compute because no because they they do it because you know I'm sure there's cops there and and you know and and they yeah you know what I mean and and, and and just by the grace of God is that that you do follow those teachings because what if you didn't what if it was still angry to what right. would it what would happen right. do you see what I'm saying <laughs> they don't know exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no. Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, my my life at one time, because I was consumed by hate, was spiraling out of control, and uh, it didn't take very much for that light that that switch to go. Uh, thank God, I, I I realized that that was a weakness, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I decided to move on. But a lot of my teammates are not like that. You know, they're still angry. Yeah. Uh, and how can you not be angry after fighting fourteen years? You know, yeah, how- it's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it will catch up to you, no matter what. It right. will catch and, up. And the thing is, for the uh, from the perspective of the guy who spit at you, right? H- how does he know that you're just not going to say, you know what, fuck this shit, and just yeah, know, like and lose it? Yeah, like you you can't, you know, it, it's it doesn't make sense from his perspective. And two, I want to ask you, wh- was that like the the West ba- Baptist Church or something like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I get pleasure out of, so you hear these stories of people getting stuck into them. And, and again, I'm not that sort, I don't like to incite violence or hatred, but that gives me some, it pleases me sometimes. Cause I think, yeah, you know, when the, it's almost, um, because I, I would never, of all the people that I would, you know, that I potentially wouldn't like, I'd never turn up at somebody's funeral 
and do that. I'd never, that would never right. cross my mind to think that that's acceptable. And you know, what really bothered me was, um, you know, I, I have a high tolerance for stupidity because I work around a bunch of, you know, foreign countries before and they're, you know, you have to overlook some of their opinions. And, and I tell you, one of the things that really bothered me, man, was that when, uh, when they lowered that casket, cause it, it was surreal into that moment when they lowered that casket down. And I remember the preacher standing there and said that this is where Obelai would lie for the rest of his, you know, eternity. And this is where he would find peace. I, I guess that's where it resonated with me that I'll never see my friend again. But instead of letting me have my moment of peace and say goodbye to my friend, I was hearing screams in the background and these people with their hate, you know, um, yelling all their hate, you know, and saying that, you know, he deserves it. You deserve it and everything. All I wanted that day was just say goodbye to my friend. That was it. Yeah. So they, yeah. they have no respect, you know, they have no respect. Yeah. And you know, so, it, it's disgusting, it, isn't it? It's interesting because one of the, like, kind of the, the staples of like Eastern philosophy, like uh, Buddhism, uh, I remember reading a passage about uh, Buddha himself. He was in some type of situation with one of uh, his students and this guy, I, I don't know if it was in a, the guy was drunk or something and he spit in Buddha's face and Buddha's student immediately wanted to, you know, fight the guy, engage him. And he told him, no, it's all right. And, and, you know, and you, you have to kind of learn to um, deal with those situations. And that's, that was kind of like the, one of the like lessons of Buddhism was to, uh, you know, not engage in a situation like that. And it's just kind of interesting, you know, but it's really hard, you know, like, like Libya, you know, Going into Libya, and we we had a direct mission that we needed to accomplish with a timeline. So I I had no time to bullshit around with these militia groups. But my first interaction with one of the commanders, because I'm Asian and he he felt like he was a higher class than me. Literally, I'm I'm the team sergeant. I'm going to I I'm here to help your militia group, right? To unify your group to take down the pro-Gaddafi regime after the war. I'm helping them out, supply equipment, train them. But yet he didn't even look at me in the face. He was actually, he, he rather talked to one of my Caucasian team members, which then my Caucasian team member would turn to me and say the same thing because he was too good to talk to an Asian. Now that changed towards the, uh, the mid to tail end of the rotation once we started uh, work with these guys, but you have to overcome the ignorance. You know, you have to overcome yeah. it yeah. for the higher cause. But that's um, that's a skill within itself. I and mean, you know, it's a, the way that you sort of um, again that makes me even more. Um, I've got looking forward to reading even more because it's that's not an easy thing to do, especially with with the skill set you, that you have. You know, that takes a lot of self control. It, you know, and tell you, Chantel, it took a while and it took a lot of maturity. You know, in my 20s, uh, I wasn't like that. You know, in my yeah, 20s, I was angry I, too. <laughs> yeah, I was angry. I fought like in Japan, I would fight uh, because the team life wasn't enough action for me. So I would seek uh, to fight in cage matches in underground in Japan, you know, because I, I was, you know, I was young and I wanted yeah. to to prove myself. But now as I get older and I reflect back on, on life, you know, it's, it's a bigger picture than that. And, and it's precious, isn't it? Life is precious to us all. And, and like you, you've lost friends, you know, then 
the same here. And, and I think that sort of reaffirms how precious life is. And I almost feel now, I feel obliged, almost like I owe it to them to to live, you know, to live a better, a good life and and not sort of take things for granted. Yeah, it's funny you said that. I was in Vegas at the um, the, the, the SHOT Show, which is like tactical. Oh, wow, well, yeah. Yeah, conventions. And I was talking to one of my teammates, my ex-teammates, and, um, and we talked about that. You know, we talked about how, you know, you need to move on and you you have to you can't take everything, you know, and be so angry and bottled up because that's going to blind you for the rest of your life. You're going to walk around the rest of your life just being and hating. And our fallen teammates wouldn't want that for us. They want us to be successful and be happy. So and that's the thing, even like with what we were saying about how potentially it's different for us now coming home where people don't really understand they don't feel they don't have any empathy for soldiers and stuff and you and you can't let that consume you because you know I, I, I lost my brother in 2002 and I remember getting to a point where a friend of mine said it can't you can't let things consume you and I'd you know you go through the process of course you do that would be silly not to and you, you're always going to sort of um, grieve someone but you if things start to consume you it's almost like you may as well just hand your ticket in because it's there are so many people that would give that chance, that would want that chance to be here. So, yeah, yeah and and I, I look at it that way now too. You know, it's well, just um, it's interesting, and you know, some obviously losing somebody is going to be painful no matter what. But I feel like you can lose someone and turn that loss into a plus by saying, you know, I'm going to live my my life. Yeah. Uh, you know my friend my brother you know whoever it is you lost yeah you know they're no longer here so i'm gonna live kind of for them you know and i'm gonna and and for me like with my personal loss i i use that as motivation you know i, I almost feel like they're watching me you know what i mean it's like i, I have to do the best that i can you know yeah, yeah. And do you know i laugh sometimes because i think yeah my brother's probably like that yeah cheers you take me to some of the, the shittiest places on earth thanks this has been a great trip <laughs> Yeah, I have a question for you. Being a yeah. combat medic, you know, being being a combat medic in your background, you 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 dealt with life and death a lot. You know, you've seen people pass, and you know, I the only people you know that meant to me that passed was you know my teammates, yeah. um, as in I I was there the moment that they passed, and the screams, the smell, the sights. It, it's hard to overcome that, man. I, so I'm asking you how. How do you overcome that after you've been exposed to it so much? Um, do you know, it's one of those things that I'd, um, I always go into a strange kind of, what's the word? I get very helpful when someone's hurt. So then this is going to sound, I don't even know how to explain it properly because I probably don't even know how to explain it to myself. But in my head, I always think things are worse when they're not happening. And then when they're happening, I'm, I'm fine. So if if I think about something, I'd keep, I would find that quite upsetting, and then as soon as I'm in the person helping, I, I'm good with that, and that's how but it's always a case of and I always and well, because you're helping, yeah, and that's why. And so say when someone was in particular on the battlefield, I always I could see people's comfort in in, in their faces. You know the guys, who, you know whoever was hurt, um, that they they would get comfort that you were that you were um, helping. So and I'm in not too... the moment you're, you're reacting, but my, my question is like after when oh, right. settles down and you have to talk to yourself, you know, and yeah. Yeah. how do you overcome that? Um, um, 
I don't know that I don't know that you do. I think maybe it's maybe it's in uh like in my nature I'm quite a I I always tend to be quite calm when the shit's hitting the fan and then I'm one of those that sort of flies off the handle at nothing. But then when it's a big thing, I'm I'm good. So I I'm not too sure because I I still have moments now where I'd kind of like for instance this week, you know, a, a friend of mine's extremely sick and I was driving home um last night and I got I started feeling really um upset about it and thought, well, and do you know why? And this is this is I know what my issue is. It's because I'm sort of helpless. I can't help him with what the problem is. So that's if that that's how I suppose I deal with it. If if I can help someone, I I can deal with it a lot better. Yeah. It's just when I can't when 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 it when we're when it's done. And then it, I suppose usually when it's when it's been like that, it's 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 quite private. You know, I'm quite a private person in that way. Yeah. And and maybe as well with rank, and this is going to sound strange, but you know I was a sergeant in charge of other medics, so I think where I was, I ended up being quite um, having that sort of stiff upper lip, and and, and sort of being strong for then. Yeah, well, if you, if you're strong for a while, it just remains. You know, I don't I don't feel like I'm going to break down anytime soon, or I I, I still carry that senior NCO sort of attitude. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe when I'm 80, I might start melting down. And people are like, "What the f- what the fuck's wrong with her? It's that crazy old lady, <laughs> minus the cats." <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I don't I don't know. It's I don't know how. And I don't even there's people that have been in worse situations than me, and I, and I look at them and think, and they've still they still they've come through it. So. Well, you know, it's interesting, and uh, it's kind of interesting that you asked that too, because. Uh, one of Chantel's rotations was in a field hospital. And mm. Chantel, you told me that that was almost more difficult for you than yeah. one of your rotations that was very kinetic, which I yeah, find kind of interesting. Well, when you're on, see, that's the thing. When, when you're involved, when you're involved in the fight, you're very much a part of a club. And it's a, and it's a club that's, um, it's quite, and I hold that quite sacred, even to be, have been invited into that club. Um, because, you know, and there's, and this isn't about, but when you when you're invited into a club of, of men that are on the front line fighting, it's quite a quite a, an interesting sort of time. But then when in the hospital, when you've got all you have is um, you know it's just dark and it's miserable because people have been hurt. They're no longer with their teams. They're either in really bad shape or they're in some sort of you know ward. They're waiting to be evacuated, and that it was quite soul destroying because you just thought. You know, you're looking at young lads looking down and they're missing two limbs, people with, um, you know, just lost friends and then they're, they've got a couple of gunshot wounds and, and that was actually really quite harrowing, watching watching the sort of nurses pulling in 12-hour shifts of just... Because it's the miserable side, whereas when, when you're all out together and shit's happening, you, there's, a, there's a togetherness. I don't know what whether that's, that's the same for everybody, but you, you feel part of it. The worst thing would be missing that. So the guys that are sat in the hospitals, they know that their, their teammates are still out. You know, that's, I don't think there's a, and they're, they're very vulnerable then, you know, in the, in the sort of, in the heat of battle, people are quite, um, what's the word? Resilient. Yeah. So everyone kind of, you know, people put on a brave face, don't they? Even though, even when the time comes where it's not going to end well, there's always that, yeah. sort of, always that joke to be had. Not so many jokes in the hospital though. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I even feel it now with, you know, being out, you know, yeah. it's connected, you know, you, you ask yourself, did you do enough? You know, did you, 
did you do enough as you know a human being uh, for this generation? You know, and I don't yeah, know. and your guys and your you for you especially being out. So you know, you, your guys are still um, in there, and it, I think that's just something that any sort of military person that that was sort of into being in the military, you, well, you carry that forever. And it's, it's like the the boys of old, you know, from the Great Wars. It's still the same, isn't it? They still feel the same. Yeah, absolutely. And and even if if you look at like I'm I'm a Brit and I'm on this podcast, but even chatting to say two or the other guys that have been on, there's almost like an instant affiliation. You know, as soon as you you can mention what there's always you'll have you'll find common ground. Mm-hmm. And I think for soldiers that just happens. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not it's not a bad thing. I like it. Well, it's a good thing because if I if I ask you, I say Shinto, you know, do you feel this way? And you're like, yeah, it, you're being human with me because. You know, you understand. You understand what I'm asking you. You yeah. know, you understand. Like, it's not just a surface layer question I'm asking you. You're seeing the the roots of my question, yeah, and it's sure. hard to relay that to somebody. It's not their fault, but it's hard to relay to somebody. It's kind of not been there because they don't understand. You know, the sights and smells and and, and what yeah. you see. And, uh, and, and the smells are the smells are probably the, one of the biggest things because you there'll be things that'll ping those smells and you just a little whiff of something you're like well you know and it just takes it can take you right back and not I don't mean literally as in you stand there and you're pinged back you know where people say oh do you get flashbacks and there's, no it's not like that to, for me it's not like that it's just I'll just get little responses and it'll just just ping me I'll, it's a reminder sort of thing yeah absolutely those, you know, getting back to Africa, though, you know, I, I think the world, you know, they, they're so used to seeing what's going on on the news with the Middle East that they don't understand the firefights that we're getting into Africa. They don't understand the complex environments that we're working in uh, in, in, in the Horn of Africa. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, so the war is bigger than the Middle East. Um, and I see Africa blown up within the next is you know those are rich countries like libya that's a rich country you know and um people want their they want to own it so um the training camps the uh you know natural resources fighting for natural resources uh fighting for terrain and tribal regions they're going to still happen yeah i know i mean this i don't know whether this would have any effect on but even i know the chinese have bought a lot of the um mineral sorts of uh the, those sorts of mines in in Africa, they have a lot of their um, people that have been in jail, have got life life sentences in in China. Actually, work on those mines, and it's, that's quite an interesting. Again, you don't see much of it in the news, do you? I mean, there's there's yeah. there's small articles, but unless you're actually looking and you're interested, people would never know that. Yeah, and like you know, like in Yemen, you know, middle of nowhere, you you see the Chinese out there mm-hmm. setting up you know, cell phone towers, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it, it's really weird, you know, Southern Libya and down Sabah, you know, uh, you see it. Yeah, so. Libya, that'll go off again because what's happened is they, there's no, when there's no sort of rule of law that it just, it just goes, doesn't it? There's, you can't really, and then it affects neighboring countries. And that's the problem with Africa. It's in, it's in that place that we, you said earlier about it being in a complex geographical position. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Libya is pretty messed up now, right? Like, like right now, you know. Yeah. And you know, being on the teams, man, I, I could tell you, like, if we make the wrong decisions, it, it can cause serious rapport, uh, 
you know, diplomatic relations with that country. So you're almost the ambassador in that country, you know, uh, you're working with tribal regions. Yeah, you're trying to, you know, uh, fight Baka Ram or whoever, you know, whatever rebel force you're fighting, but it's it's complex, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's not quite, I know exactly what you said. It's not, you do, and that's again, people don't realize that when soldiers, uh, and not in, not in all places, some people do just, you know, you just send it to a certain place, hold that position good but then in some places you are sent in with a, a different mission that yeah. involves um, cultural sensitivity or liaising and, and it, that actually takes quite a lot of, of thought you know there's you yeah. don't you can't just turn up and that happens no and you've got to gain trust you've got to gain you know and like you say you spent that time in libya initially culturally someone um would didn't want to d- deal directly with you and then it's, you have to then wait a couple of months until they realize that you're, you know, it's, it's a strange, yeah, it's a strange, strange place. Mm-hmm. What else John, you want to know about Africa, John? <laughs> I want to know everything. John, are you still awake? <laughs> I'm getting lost in thought here. Well, like even food there, John, you know, like the, you know, you think about going to the grocery store, everything's nice and packaged in a frozen fruit session, you know, their, their market is you walk down the street and they have hanging, you know, the meat market, you know, flies are over it, you know, you see like cow heads and, you know, I was offered, um, I think it was monkey brains. Yeah. 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 There's, I didn't, no way. I couldn't, and even like culturally, I probably did. Yeah, there's no, I couldn't do it. Yeah, but even like in a in a jungle type of environment, like people eat like all kind of shit, like like monkeys. Um, yeah, all kind of crazy stuff. Well, look at yeah. Bear Grylls. In fact, Bear Grylls pretends to eat eat all kinds of <laughs> yeah. shit in the jungle, so you can maybe get some tips <laughs> off him. <laughs> I mean, being a Green Beret, we we ate just about anything there is the you know i i ate monkey and you know i what was it like um it wasn't too bad i was really hungry <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but what, what really freaked me out was i was sitting by the, the fire because you know you got tigers and leopards and everything trying to kill you in the jungle and you want to make a fire to to try to keep the wildlife away uh but you don't want to make a bigger fire so the bandits will come and kill you so it's it's uh so I was I was sitting next to the fire and gnawing on this monkey's arm, and I, you know, when I was going through high school, we had to read this book called The Monkey's Paw. I don't know if you ever read it, but The Monkey's Paw was about this this uh, explorer who got a hold of a monkey's paw, and apparently the the story goes that he can, if you make a wish, it comes true. Well, he he brought the monkey's paw back to to uh, to Europe, and his wife died, and he buried her out in the in the back and. And basically, he wished that she came back. And the story goes, he was laying in his in his bed, and you know, he heard the door open, and and um, you know, footsteps going up the stairs. And basically, he looked underneath the door, and he found like a uh, portion of her dress, you know, and this decayed-looking body. And uh, it's funny what you think about when you're gnawing on a monkey's paw in <laughs> Malaysia, you know. So I'm like. No, and I've got to say as well, like I, I wouldn't, like in Sierra Leone, we didn't have the problem like you were saying about the tigers and stuff. That would have been, you know, just the thought of um, 
the 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 stuff you had to go through in some of those deeper jungles that would have been hideous. Oh, yeah. Even before you started doing your job. Well, you, yeah. you, you got some interesting stories yeah. with, with a tiger, right, too? Maybe you could write a kid's book. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So I was um, I was the lead tracker in Malaysia uh, tracking school. Oh. So we, we went to um, uh, man tracking school in Pulada, Malaysia. And uh, I was the lead tracker. And, uh, uh, you know, I was pretty decent at, at, at picking up, you know, scents and, and, and uh, signs. And what's really weird was um, you, you look at, you know, the waist level and the hand, you know, you don't just look at the, the ground level. But then I started losing the tracks around, you know, the, the waist level. And I found myself getting on all fours and crawling through these, this, this deep vegetation. And um, what I ended up doing was I, I crawled through this path and I came up on a, a tiger, right? I, I ended up tracking a tiger. And my team was behind me and I was kicking the guy in the face, like get freaking back. And he was pushing me along, like hurry up, move forward. And I'm like, no, there's a freaking tiger out here. And I, and I tell you the first thing I thought when I saw this tiger was that, um, man, this tiger looks bigger than in a zoo, right? <laughs> they are that big. Oh, yeah, they're that big. And, and I was a young, like, you know, 22-year-old, you know, SF guy. I didn't know anything. And I wanted to cry because this thing is, like, looking at me. <laughs> and, and, um, but apparently it must have ate something because it, it obviously didn't want Asian food that day or something. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, we, you know, we tracked our way back. And I, I told my team, sorry, yeah, I was on the scent of a tiger. And, you, you know, everybody, of course, laughed at me. But. Yeah, yeah, so that was that was my tiger story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, crazy wildlife stories that, you know, I, I think I have more of, you know, crazy interactions with wildlife, like a hippo, you know, tracking us down. <laughs> because we're oh, yeah, they're deadly, aren't they? Yeah, and they're very territorial, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when we're tramping through the jungles trying to find a you know you know an lpop or a hide site you know we're, we're going in their terrain their their neighborhood so the baboons are pretty bad in africa they will come down and snatch you up and uh drag you into the jungles so yeah they're, and they're like really strong too right Oh, yeah. I saw uh, in one of our, our G bases, our camps, our outstations, uh, a baboon came in. Uh, he pulled his whole body up with one. It's like he did a muscle up through the fence with one arm. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, that thing can rip like my head and off. Was that, that, was even, that was before CrossFit was invented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the teams, when I told the teams, they're like, you know, instead of being concerned about me, they're like, oh. So this muscle, you think you can? <laughs> and of course, they're out there trying to do the muscle ups. You know, I'm like, I think. You're... But that's so true. That's so yeah, true of a. I could imagine that. It's fun. Did anyone manage the muscle up? No. Apart from the baboon, no not one arm muscle up. No. <laughs> well, actually, there, there, oh, that's cool. there are people who could do one arm muscle ups, but um, it's uh, it's usually guys who are like. In the 150 range, weight range, 150 pounds. Um, yeah, you've got to be, and I've noticed that with those, with uh, there's just specific people who are good, better at different things. Like if you're, if you're relatively tall, it's quite hard, isn't it? Because you've got to, yeah, it's a little different dynamic. Don't you say that. Um, like, yeah, usually 
uh, it'll be more difficult for someone like myself to to do all you know all the crazier moves. But because I'm a little taller and a little heavier, I could probably lift more weight. You know, so there's kind of different uh, different uh, pluses and 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 minuses. John, you had me at the human flag. Anyone that can do the human flag, oh, yeah, they win right. it for me. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just it's, Photoshop myself doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not as hard as it looks, which is kind of interesting. Because I remember when I first saw it, because it, it's a gymnastic move movement, but... But everyone everyone says that they can do it. They always say no, it's not that hard. And no, yeah. exactly. And like if you if you grow up watching the Olympics, like you know, I watch the Olympics every time it's up. You never see anyone really doing a flag, you know. But it's it's part of gymnastics, though. So the first time I saw it, my mind was completely blown. I was like, "What the fuck am I looking at?" And um, <laughs> and then you know when you when you actually start trying it, and if you get some instruction from people who know about it, it's really not that difficult. Still looks cool though. It's still yeah, impressive, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you definitely have cool points doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, you've done Africa to death. Yeah, and, and there's probably still more. <laughs> yeah, and you know, with Africa, man, when we started our train up in Africa, coming out of the Middle East, you know, we had to train in in different means of infiltration. You know, the you know the free falling and you know and then and the water operations went back and i haven't done water operations since philippines so i had to like dive back into how do i you know get back into rivers and stuff because that's how they, they transport a lot of their uh their supplies is through those major riverbeds were you on a on a dive team at all too i wasn't i was on an amphibious reconnaissance team for a little bit oh right, right, right. Okay. before i how went to did, two how long did you spend in africa like total um my last four years was in africa and we would do rotations like uh four months uh into africa but then you know we'll get four months off and then do another four months in so my my continents that i went into africa um let's see was predominantly uh the northern region africa like uh nigeria chad uh libya uh mali uh, I, I did go into South Africa for uh, Mandela's funeral. I was protecting uh, our president in Johannesburg there. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so he went in Tunisia and then went into South Africa. So we picked him up in South Africa. But that was that was my last uh, mission was um, protecting our former president over in South Africa. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really busy. But, but last... You know, a lot of the the senior NCOs, uh, once they come towards the tail end of their career, they usually slow down. But I kind of sprinted towards my finish line. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good thing. So that's a a neat way to end, I think, as well. And you're still not done because you've got, obviously, um, the Ronin tactics. I always see all the cool videos. And I'm sure sure a friend of mine, um, I was working in Baghdad, and I'm sure he went and learned to shoot properly again, and I'm sure it was with you, and he said it was awesome. Oh, really? Yeah. His name's Brent. He's a Brit guy. But I remembered when I saw your picture, I remembered he'd said he'd been somewhere. Because I didn't know at the time, I was like, yeah, okay, sounds cool. (laughs) But it was... But obviously, now that I've um, I've seen your sites and all that sort of stuff, I thought, I'm sure that's pretty sure that's what he was talking about. Yeah. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, he um he was ex-military police and then uh, he just wanted to go and learn to shoot properly again. Because I think sometimes if you picked up some sloppy things, it's good to 
to go and learn from someone who knows how to shoot. You know, actually, one of my first uh, rotations was over to uh, Aldershot. Oh, right, Aldershot, yeah. Yeah, I was trained with your third Paris. Uh, yeah, I'm um, three Paris, yeah. Yeah, so I had to go through, um, well, they said, well, in order to you to earn our wings, mate, you're going to have to go yumping. <laughs> so I'm like, yumping? What the hell is yumping? Um, they, they oh, no, did you, go, you went into, to, did you do P Company then? I did their whole airborne school, jumping yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, so... We, How did you find it? Because that's supposed to be hard, isn't it? I didn't like the hot air balloon, <laughs> right? Oh, well, yeah, you, yeah. oh, God, so you did it then in the hot air balloon? Yeah, so I, I didn't like it because you do get that free fall. No, it's not even like free fall. It's it's yeah. almost like a dead drop sensation, you know, <laughs> before that shoot opens. But I, I love that town, that military town. Yeah, uh, yeah well, I, I was based in Aldershot um, for my medical training, and then my last... Three years, I was part of 16 Air Assault Brigade, which is obviously three para, two para, and then the affiliations. Um, so, yeah, the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you had a good time. Well, what's funny is we we, uh, we trained with them, and then we went into Holland, so we jumped into Operation uh, Market oh, Garden. Oh, wow. Yeah, to, wow. Uh, yeah, the bridge too far operation. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we walked – and uh, we reenacted that operation. So it was really, it was really cool for a young, you know, a young yeah. pride. I see it. Oh yeah, that is cool. And they, and they do that. That's a really, a, a really big thing every year for the Paris. Mm-hmm. They all, yep. they, they always reenact that. Oh, that's, that's, that's something I didn't know. That's really cool. Yeah. We jumped your parachutes, which the death dial, <laughs> uh, it was really windy that day. And I was trying to work the death dial and I was drugged all over to DZ. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, I've been on on many a DZ where people have um, come down in like, multiple fractures. I think sometimes the the DZs in the UK they're they're quite some of them are quite dangerous underfoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when guys, yeah, so it's it's always interesting being at the bottom watching people come down. Yeah, but I, I love working with the your you know the, the Brits. Yeah. Um, you know, two two uh, came over and and um, and helped us out. So yeah. those are a great group of guys and well trained guys. So yeah. we do exchange programs with those guys too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's they do. I think that um, Brits in the US we do a lot of things like that with the exchanges of different units. It's, I think it's a nice thing. It's been um, it's been going for some years. Yeah, and absolutely. And then yeah. you know, find ourselves working with them overseas. It's, it's yeah, really... so and it's always the same, isn't it? We always exchange rations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And cool kit, you know. I was, in fact, my last uh, medical pack, it's it's an it's an old American one, but it was far better than the one I was issued, and I was so grateful for it. It was like this is awesome, because mm-hmm. the one the one I had was just cumbersome and you know not, it wasn't fit for the purpose. Mm-hmm. So I got my hands on this Black Hawk one. I was yeah super happy. Give me a, one of those and an MRE with some M and M's, and I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But yeah, we um, used your what was it Sterling? Is that the the rifles you guys knew? Sterling. We used no. the. Oh right, yeah, that's that's real. We, we, I was SA eighty, but I think that's that's obviously um, old school. Yeah, that was yeah, that was back in like ninety five. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, was it? No, yeah, no. I, I'll try and find out. Actually, I'm trying. I don't know what they were using. SA eighty. It was guys, the. Um, you guys probably joined the military around the same time. I think so. Hmm? Yeah, I, I joined the military in 93. 98. Okay. So I'm yeah. a little bit after. Yeah. So I'm the old one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but I think the, not, the British and Americans, like, obviously historically have worked together, but I, I think it was in Iraq was when it really kind of kicked off uh, between, like, the the higher-tiered special ops uh, units. Yeah, we gonna... definitely learned a lot from 2-2 guys and, um, because, you know, they've been fighting um, uh, Northern Ireland for yeah. a while. So we, we learned a lot of their tradecraft in the reconnaissance realm. I think that's yeah for sure for us, and then let's bear in mind that the you know the IRA had training camps in Africa too. Mm-hmm. You know, really? that's, um And yeah, the, uh, Libya. Wow. Yep. So they had, um, and that's the thing we, and I do I do like to say, especially about our intelligence services and our our tier one guys, is that like intelligence gathering is probably one of our um, strengths. You know, we've and we did learn a lot over there because it was, you know, I suppose there's nothing else you can do but learn. Wait, so mm-hmm. the, the IRA was doing like their training camps during the Qaddafi days you're talking about? Yeah, they, I mean, not just Libya. They had um, training camps in the, um, several parts of North Africa. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so again, I to get, you know, it's always, there's always, um, if, 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 if somewhere, if, if you've got a place that people don't really like going because it's um, either it doesn't offer them anything as a tourist or... It's just uh, hard to get to, or the, all those other um, nuances. You usually find that that's a haven for somebody that's doing something they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. So, I suppose Africa became that became that. But there are beautiful parts of Africa, and I must say this is the beaches in Sierra Leone were probably second to none. I mean, I'm sure it was. I don't know how factual this is, but they say that one of the beaches was where the bounty ad was um, filmed, mm. the famous the chocolate bar with the. The scantily clad lady walking along on the beach. John, you know this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, you know, some very beautiful places. Yeah, absolutely. Like Libya. John, you, you, you've been to my house where you saw some of the stuff I, uh, you know, some of the pictures I took over in Tripoli, Tripoli uh, the coastline, yeah. and the Greek ruins. You know, um, like they have like these these coliseums, these Greek ruins there that dates back to 500 BC. Uh And yeah, unlike like America where, you know, like, you know, some of these historical sites, you can't walk in there. They, they, uh, they sector it off over in Libya. I mean, I I was walking through, you know, these old, you know, uh, structures and it was amazing. You know, it was amazing seeing it. Yeah, and, and those and they're still and they're still standing. Yeah, yeah, and it has such a deep history. You know, like the Greeks were there. Um, yeah, you know Hannibal the Conqueror. You know that's where they their stomping grounds were in that area. Um, you know, uh, you know, and and like you said, Africa is really like kind of the, the start of civilization. So it's yeah. a very unique place. You know. So it's going to be interesting to see you know with the new president and how. You know how we're going to fight the global war. You know, um, yeah. scattered thin. You know, we're still in Asia. Um, we're we're in the Middle East and Africa, and some portions of the Eastern Bloc, and, and of course the drug wars in South America. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to. You yeah, because and that's the thing you have, and regardless of, of of I don't know potentially sometimes thinking it's better to pull people back. But if you leave the threat sort of hanging out there, it will make its way to you. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's, is that's just a fact, isn't it? This is kind of, um, it's like a, that creeping Ivy. It will eventually get to a point where you'd wish you'd have taken care of it. And I know it's none of it's ideal. And I think it, from a, 
a liberal perspective if you know if if we didn't have to do any of this it would be awesome but that's never ever going to happen you know and it's never life's just not like that and the human race as it is is it's not going to ever come to a point where people are not going to have war because it's it's part and parcel of i think the human race isn't it yeah it's yeah history yeah yeah. So, you know, like Iraq, you know, we pulled out of Iraq, you know, and it, we trained the Iraqi commandos, you know, and, and yeah. I asked one of my friends that just recently did a rotation uh, back in Iraq over in, uh, in, in Syria. And uh, he, he was telling me, like, all the commando forces we train are pretty much gone, you know, so it's. Uh, Which is really sad, isn't it? Because yeah, I think, I mean, even from, from my perspective with Afghanistan, I think I still think that we shouldn't have pulled out so soon you know sometimes i feel when we go somewhere we need to we need to finish what we're yeah. doing because the, the the guys on the ground or the guys and girls on the ground are doing these jobs and it's almost um for us when we get pulled away it's it's like a case of you you can kind of feel that it was fruitless you know right. whereas and, if you actually finish a job well part of the know, problem with with the way and and it's you know things are set up in such a way that you know, so the, let's say that the military wouldn't just, you know, rule, you know, the country and that kind of thing. And and obviously there needs to be. And a, I get that. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, you know, people, civilians, citizens of, this, of you know, respectively the UK and the United States, you know, you know, we're tired of the wars in Afghanistan. Right. But it's almost like. Yes, there are Americans dying. There are Brits dying over these places. And, and there's a job that they're there to do. The people fighting these, they know that this isn't going to, you know, go away anytime soon. They're in it for the long haul. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Right. You do 10 years, but to them, 10 years is nothing. Right, because they live there. That You know, that that's, yeah. that's where yeah. they're going to live and die. So it's like people have to understand that in order for some of these type of conflicts to be won, it's going to take a long time. And you can't just say, all right, well, yeah, fine, you know, go, go to war and, and fight. And after five years, you know, depending on how we feel, maybe we'll say we're against it, maybe, we, you know. And and that's part of the issue, I think. Well, and, and you look at how long we, we've only literally just emptied, started to empty bases in Germany. You know, and that was 50 years after the Second World War. And that's not because Germany was still a threat. It's just because that's... You keep a you know foot on the ground there. That's just how that was. Because who would have thought, you know, fifty years after the Second World War, so um, seventy years, that people would, if you think about what happened in um, World War Two, you'd never. Who would have thought that people would have um, spoken to the Germans again? And I know that that sounds crazy as we say it now because it's completely um, different. But back then, it was a very. I mean, that was a that was a huge world war. Mm-hmm. But we somehow managed, you know, we stayed, we stayed, we did what, you know, people were building, um, building trust back up and all the other good stuff, right. but we didn't leave. And I don't know whether that's because it's in obviously Europe, but still, you still keep forces on the ground. You keep a, an element of people in places to strategically keep it. Right. And, and, you know, with, with Trump coming in, you know, he, obviously they're still going through the process of, uh, getting his picks for his cabinet through uh you know the yeah the actual procedures and stuff but some of the guys that he picked for um defense like obviously general mattis a lot of people are are fond of him and favor him uh running the things over there but i think he did a good job picking on the at least on the defense side uh some of the guys he's appointed 
Yeah, it's going to yeah. be it's going to be an interesting time. I and mean, he's meeting he's meeting Theresa May RPM tomorrow. Yeah. But, um, and that's the thing, you know, with all the uh, and I can't say you know that I was a particular fan of Trump or you know or however it goes. But the thing is, it could all it could go really well. You know, or it could go really badly. And I really hope I'm I'm not one of those people that's saying, "Yeah, see, I told you so." I'd rather that it went well. I'd rather that he had a good team around him, and then it just, you know, that would be awesome. That would be the best possible outcome, wouldn't it? Unfortunately, I think America right now we're we're divided, and uh, yeah. you know, it's a, a lot of us don't have the tolerance for open war anymore that's why the special operations are being more popular within the united states because they know that we could go in and execute and leave no signature you know yeah. and versus sitting in big armies and and uh dedicating ourselves or committing ourselves to the next five to ten years yeah. um versus sitting in you know a bunch of guys that that train like a fit force for you to fight your own wars um but and you and you have you know your um your caliber of guys that they're busier than ever at the moment, aren't they? You know, and you know, and I feel sorry for. And this is where you know Chantal was telling you that did I do enough? Because as a senior NCO, yeah, you feel obligated for the young guys, but yeah. some of these young guys don't have the combat experience. They don't they don't have it, and they're they're putting in these very complicated environments, and you know they're kind of set up failure. So yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll see, you know, where, where the United States is going to go in the next, you know, five years. Because our military is, you know, I hate to say it, it's kind of, it's hurt. It's hurting, you yeah. know, depleted our force uh, with the drawdown. So uh, along with that came, you know, left experience. So um, we'll see. Yeah, I hope. And, and I'd, like I said, I mean, it, I, I will be hopeful in and hope that the people around um, Trump, where he's going to lack, maybe um, guide rather than setting someone up for failure. You know, let's not do that. You know, let's because no, no one's a no one's um, great on their own, are they? No, no. You you definitely need your teams. Yeah. You can't be great at everything. Yeah, exactly. Just maybe. <laughs> Is it, but I must say, he does. I watched his speech um, earlier with my mum, and he does make me laugh. And I don't mean in a uh, where I wasn't because he just he's so fucking chilled out up there isn't he he's like pointing at people he reminds me a bit of a Kenny Powers type character and I love Kenny Powers yeah. it's like like pointing at dudes as if hey, hey you're cool you're not you're cool like, and that's I mean I don't know whether that's the behaviour of a president but it was almost quite refreshing just to see him not really giving a toss and ju- you know I don't maybe that's just I shouldn't say it like that but yeah I hope I hope it goes well yeah yeah so Chantal, so out of your time in Africa, what what was probably the cruelest thing you've seen? Um, oh, right, yeah. That's in fact, I forgot to talk about this. Um, that's probably why I didn't talk about it. But it was we were in. I'm trying to think of the region. It was one of the one of the more um, the regions up up north, and um, we we were sat in our little because we we were I was part of a little military observation team, and there was only five or six of us, and I was their medic. So we were um, just interviewing people and, and obviously I was dealing with the child combatants and stuff. And I remember, um, and I, I can't say that this, whatever was happening to this woman or girl was horrific and we couldn't do anything. And we were just sat all looking at each other because we could hear um, 
this really I can't even describe how bad this screaming was. It was just so so you know there was and it was horrible. It was just quite possibly one of the worst experiences I've ever had in any um, war zone. And and we couldn't do anything because we weren't there to to do any sort of direct ops or you know we were obviously all had our weapons and things like that. But it wasn't we weren't in any sort of situation to to start rounding people up in a village. And it was yeah that was for me that was actually really um, hard to do. And it a as a soldier and b like as a woman it was just I just sat thinking. This isn't, you know, this isn't a good situation at all. And I, I couldn't even tell you what happened to her, you know, whether she lived or died. It was just one of those things that, um, yeah. And again, that's something that it's, you've got, you've got a way up an option that you're in a, in someone else's country surrounded by, um, you know, heavily armed people that are in and around you. And you, you've got to kind of weigh up what's, what's the right thing to do you know yeah, and that there was a, it was because we didn't know where this where this um person was but it was just it wasn't it was horrible you know we couldn't even get out of our own um little compound that we'd secured um to get out to this woman so and aside of i suppose like from a medical perspective in the, in the same country um i came across a, a lady that was they tried to give her an, a, an abortion with a coat hanger yeah. And um, so she was bleeding really heavily, and and it was luckily actually um, like Medicine Sans Frontier are probably one of the best um, non-government sort of medical organisations because they don't ever deal with soldiers and they never sort of allow us to go anywhere near them. And I ple- I sort of begged and pleaded and you know said I've got I can't I can't get her out of here. We've got no helicopter at night because we were basically using the only helicopter we had on. Um, standby with a, one of the old Russian Hinds, and this was from the days of I think executive outcomes. This was sort of way off piste, and uh, and they took her. And I, it was the one time I just thought, you know, thank God, because um, that's what they just said. Obviously, we've not we've kind of we've not seen you, so I like disappeared into the night, and um, they dealt with her. And then from then on in, at least the locals had a. Uh, in a way of dealing with their casualties. But like I said, it, you know, some of the stuff, some of the stuff there was almost like um, back into sort of Mad Max days. And I in, in my own head, sort of trying to deal with, again, I, I just sort of remembered this to me is completely abnormal, but in some of these parts, this is, you know, you can't sort of stop everything. Yeah. But I, I feel like with the ripple effect, you know, you save one, you save a thousand. So, so for the potentially for some of the people that we did manage to get to and help, you know, the ripple effect may um, may sort of may have helped them. And, and actually, Sierra Leone, as uh, after the Ebola um, outbreak, they're kind of they're getting back on their feet now. So, and do you know this was a, just a, an interesting one, is that they were decolonized, and I think it was in the sixties and most people there wanted they said we wish that the brits hadn't have left and it was interesting to hear that because it was almost you know they were one of the last sort of we still have um areas but it was weird because they were very they had very british um traditions yeah you know they're very sort of family orientated people yeah so it was um and, and, but again, and it's, what about you two what same question yeah. same question about <laughs> you 
you know, it's just I have seen the cruelties of the world, man. And, you know, um, for me, you know, just, you know, working up in uh, the border of uh, Buna Majida in Cameroon, you got your Chad Rebels. Um, so if you, if you kind of look at the map, you know, you got um, Cameroon and then up in the, the northern region, you got Nigeria and Chad in Nigeria that, that, that uh, borders uh, the western side of uh, Cameroon. So we're, we're doing the anti-poaching campaign and people are like, well, why are you doing anti-poaching campaigns? Because the Chad rebels are, are going in, killing the wildlife to supply and equip their training camps, you know, their, uh, you know, their cause, you know. And I, I would say one of the cruel things I saw over there was uh, Baka Ram would come in and kidnap little kids and um, and basically you know, for a week, the kids would disappear and then they'll show up on the village uh, in a public area somehow with a bomb strapped up to them. So then you got crowds running towards them. Uh, and then that's when they, you know, light them up. So uh, I would say that's that's pretty bad. Um, uh, seeing some of the rebel forces and their cruelties and, and how they, they, they enter villages and uh, you know, raped and, and, and yeah. killed soldiers. Yeah. Uh, you know that. They don't. Scene. They don't have many rules, do they? No, and and I, I guess like what really disturbs me is I know that we have the capabilities of, you know, dealing justice with them pretty quick. The problem is that if we do this and we go rogue, is that we have to answer to our command. You know, yeah. and um, so it, it puts us in an awkward situation because we're humans. And this is not a human thing to do, you know, slaughtering these people. Well, that's not your mission. Um, so what are you going to do? You're, you know, you're going to stand back and you're going to watch it happen. Is what you're going to do. Um, and and that's the, and that's exactly the point too. Is that I remember just and I hated this phrase until I actually seen um, or sort of experienced why we do it. And it's always that that phrase of the bigger picture. And it used to like really piss me off because I'd be like, no, you know, because when you you kind of get you're caught up in those little situations and you and you you feel like you want to get involved but like you say there's that 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 little incident is not going to save the entirety of, of what you're actually trying to achieve but obviously to people on when you're on the ground that's the last thing you want to hear but it's something that you have to deal with and again people at home don't realize that those atroc atrocities that they see um, on the telly, that those atrocities, that's the sort of stuff that we, the smells that we experience or the the visuals that you experience, you know, the, it looks very different on the TV. Let's just say that, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you know when I watch these these documentaries on Africa, you know, I, I know what it feels like and it, it brings mm -hmm. me back to those moments. And, you know, what, what kills me is that, you know, we have these, you know, current days, you know, um, you know, African-Americans here and, you know, they, they talk about slavery and they talk, you know, and it's, it's surface layer, it's surface layer bullshit that are thrown out. Yeah. It's unfortunate what happened back then, but if you really feel that strongly about, you know, uh, slavery, uh, I, I asked like, what are you doing about it? Because I know like, you know, my teams and I are going in and, and, and fighting these, these rebels from enslaving certain tribal, uh, tribal regions. So these guys that are sitting back and they're the critics and, and, and bad mouthing America and talking about how they're held down 
their people was held down. Well, they don't understand that every every race in history has been enslaved. Yeah, in some form or another. So I asked, what are you doing about it? Besides sitting around on social media and just bad mouthing everybody else, right. you know, right. Th- that's part of the issue with kind of today with the, you know, the you get the, the instant gratification, instant communication, instant connection. You know, you can just people will get, you know, riled up about something and then they'll just go on Facebook and, and you know, put up a couple of posts and feel like they've done their part and that's it. And, um, yeah. you know, you, you some of like there's positives and negatives with so the power of social media and all this kind of instant connectivity. But some of the negative of it is that people are detached from actually doing things. You know what I mean? Like, like you feel like you're on your computer posting shit and you're actually doing something. You're just talking shit and arguing with people versus actually accomplishing things. Like, you know, if you feel like certain things are, you know, like I, let's take police brutality, right? In some cases, yeah, p- p- some cops are wrong. In a lot of cases, they're not, right? If yeah. you f- if you feel like the problem is so bad, why don't you get 20 other like-minded individuals and why don't all of you guys apply to the police academy, become cops, and make that change that you want to see? You know, like yeah. like the cop in, um, in Dallas when that Dallas shooting happened, the mm. police chief was an African-American man, and what he said was, I, I challenge you guys, you know, we're hiring Come, come, join the force and be the change that you want to see. You yeah, know what I mean? make a difference. Yep, yep. So I mean, that's that's what's going on, man. And, and you know, it's a comp- when I say complex environment, you know, you got these high-ranking officers sitting in Germany in the comfort of their, you know, little talk area with their yeah. hundred TVs sitting in front of them, and they're trying to direct what you're going to do on the ground. You know, and lo- just like Libya. You know, um, you know, the war Shifanas, uh ran the the airstrip. And in order for us to let's just say, you know, because I was a reconnaissance guy on the ground, I was a recce guy and uh, I was doing a lot of the uh, uh, D.A. FID stuff on the ground. Well, if one of our teams got compromised, we needed, you know, a direct action force to come in to bail us out. We know that we're outgunned in Libya. Like if we get in a firefight, these rebel forces have more guns than we do, and they can reach out at uh, you know a longer distance than we can. So we understand that that you know we're working in this environment. But let's just say we got compromise. You know, a lot of these you know guys sitting back in Germany, they think everything is easy. You know, you got to pay off the warship on us if you want to own that airport. You have to yeah, do yeah. something for them. You know, and. And we had uh, the Zintan tribes that we that were training. Well, the war Shifanas and Zintan has been in war for, you know, year, you know, in war since the biblical times. So, you know, they don't understand these complex environments that we're working in. And even when we're trying to brief them, it goes in one ear out the other. You know, so they take one template from Afghanistan or Iraq and they think they can, you know. Yeah, rip- no, that's exactly yeah. true. Yeah, they think they can replicate it in these complex environments, and they can't. And, and you know, and, and to add to that, they've always got, and this is the same, I've seen it with um, De- Department of State, DOD, because I'd worked for them, and then we've got the, the, the version of our MOD and then Foreign Commonwealth Office, is the military always seem to have their hands tied a tiny little bit by the, the Foreign Office, or in your case, Department of State. And then 
So it's almost like a, a little bit of a pissing contest between those two departments. Oh, yeah. Which creates problems for guys on the ground or, you know, the, the mission completely. And, and like you say, it is, it is a case of that, that no one, you know, not, not one size fits all. But it's almost, you know, and again, you can't sort of um, rebuild without security. And, but then people want to start rebuilding. Oh, right, but it's not secure. And it just all turns, it can turn into, it gets quite untidy quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's really one of the, you know, my final chapter. And then um, that's what kind of made me realize that, you know, um, I was going down towards a route that could have landed me in some kind of government um, entity with, you know, after you get out. That's where we usually yeah. go. And um, to the agency. And, and I tell you, like, when I left, you know, it, it just kind of going back to Ronan, the, the path of Ronan was, you know, I was a mess, you know, um, when I came out. And when I found my spirituality again, it was the path of understanding. And that's that's how I started Ronan. It was a path for me to deeply understand, you know, my roots and everything that I've been through. And during my path, I, um, you know, I started getting a following and. And I realized that I can influence and affect people to be good and give them the necessary skills uh, in this next evolution of my life versus continue on down the path that I was going on in, in the continent and my hands were tied and, and watching these people get massacred um, and can't do anything. Yeah, and there's only so long you could do that before the damage is irreversible, you know. And Yeah. And that's yeah. and you've got to make that conscious decision. And, and unfortunately, we know... We all know um, guys like it that, unfortunately, they don't, and they keep going and they keep going, and it's a shame because it's it's almost like you start off with, um, you know, it 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 damages people, doesn't it? Yeah, you you become not human, you know. Yeah. Uh, you have no emotions. You you um, you can't you you tend to block out certain emotions that make you. Yeah. Human. And I I didn't want to lose that, you know. I I never wanted to lose my my humanity side so that's why i got out hey too how long uh has ronin tactics been up and running uh two years okay also yeah, so, so right when we started kind of when we started talking and stuff you had just kind of yeah so the when i first started ronin it was more of the you know um philosophy side of the house and i still do i still talk about philosophies that has helped me through my my life and hopefully it can help others but then i, I um we started getting picked up by you know law enforcement um, military and civilian sector and you know i design my own i engineer my own gear so when i was in 05 when i was um doing a lot of da stuff you know i was part of, you know we had to climb and uh a lot of our belts were shifting and moving so i you know, I wrote down a lot of notes and uh, and I just designed my own gear. So when I got out, I engineered my own gear line and, and that kind of took off. And um, Special Operations Command, certain entities already started picking up our products. And oh, wow. So, yeah, so it's it's moving really fast. Um, uh, we, we, you know, so we, we got a lot of positive feedback. Um, but yeah, to tell you the truth, man, I, I started running as, as a as a process for me to heal and, and to further define who I am in, in, in life. So, and that don't you think that's amazing from, if you think from the background that you come from to, and especially your military is that you're still, 
you're still having to, to design and create kit that better suits the needs of, do you see what I'm saying? Do you, did you often find that in even the sort of, and I know Americans have a big budget, but even the kit that you were issued, you'd still have to bastardize and make your own somehow. Yeah. It, so it would, it would never stuff, be perfect, would it? No, because we had a, um, a, a rigor, you know, where we put our, our free fall shoots and, and everything else. So we had to have like some kind of high industrial sewing machines near us. Yeah, and our cool. riggers would, you know, they taught me how to sew pretty much. Um, so after like operations, you know, I was going to college um, fighting a war. But if I had some downtime, I would go into the rigor shed and learn how to sew. And uh, basically, I was fixing a lot of the gears that was tearing and breaking on me. Yeah. You know, to tell you the truth, I was just trying to survive, man. You know, I was just trying to make it um, past that that rotation. And a lot of stuff we had to do was fix uh, a lot of the issues we're having with kit. Yeah. So, yeah. if I can engineer equipment for our warfighters uh, that that hopefully can help them out, then I, I feel that's my sense of purpose. And also, they, that's and you said that you've not done enough. Well, you're still doing. I feel like I'm not doing enough as in yeah, but you are, but you are as in that's that thing. Cause that's something that you're just potentially doing that that's coming naturally, but that is actually, I, th- I think that that's a, a, a good purpose and a great way to be um, transitioning. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the training side actually is really what really uh, dialed me back in because I'm able to go out and, you know, I, I last year I traveled from, New York to LA, literally, uh, training and, um, and the people that I, I came across, they, they really made me a better person because, you know, up until now I was in this, so this closed knit community and it's great to see the people that, you know, I was defending the people that I fought for and seeing my fellow Americans and, you know, um, it made me a better person. So I, I, I think like the training side of the house, um, it has a lot of impact on me. You know, it, it, it makes me want to be better, a better human being. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Hey, so too, you got, um, you, you just released a series of, of blades and um, you sold out pretty fast, but you got other blades in the works. Yeah, I got a tomahawk coming out called Sante. It goes back to the uh, Sante raid by the Special Forces in Vietnam. So the hawk was carried by uh, Mac V. Sog. So I, I, uh, I took the Native American type of design versus the, the Viking uh, hawks. And it goes back into how I fight. So a lot of my, uh, my blade, knife, and uh, weapons, uh, when I engineer them, it, it goes around my fighting style. You know, so... Um, I'm able to, you know, I'm happy to get my equipment off the line because I, I teach the fighting methodology behind the blade. You know, it's not just a, a blade. Here you go. It's a whole fighting system behind that right. weapon. So, yeah, I actually poked myself today uh, and it hurt. <laughs> and I yeah. did, in fact, this is one of the, John told me, he tells me that you've been uh, training him in these things. He's trying to learn some moves. Yeah, I went to New York and um, they actually asked us to come back. And um, yeah, so I look forward to going back there and, and working with John Moore on, on the blade. But that's that's surprisingly became really popular. I thought more of my firearms training. Uh, but, 
you know, even though firearms training and tactics training is, is pretty popular, but it's uh, the blade stuff is it's uh, not very well known. There's not a lot of instructors out there uh, that, that teaches it. So I find myself being asked to train the blade a lot these days. Well, it's it's different because like, in a, especially in a place like New York, people don't have access to firearms, you know, but people can't mm-hmm. get blades, you know, so it's like. And in and, and a lot of situations, like, you know, if you're riding a subway, you know, New York, everything's on top of each other. So you're, you're in a close quarters environment at all times. And it's like you, you don't have access to weapons, but you can get a blade. I mean, guns, but you can't get a blade. So, uh, you know, if you know what you're doing with a blade, you know, it can potentially save your life. Even yeah, I, it's in a, Sorry, Phil. I can I can kill a guy effectively with a, a pencil and a pen. Same thing with a blade. Once you learn <laughs> It, it doesn't matter, you know, and I could pick up a, um, you know, a, a broomstick and ram it through somebody's eye into their brain. You know, it, it doesn't matter, you know. So once you learn those movements, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I had this little, I had a gift. It was, um, and I, ca- I carry it every, I don't carry it everywhere now, but I did um, when I was overseas. And it's, a, I call it the space maker. And you can, you can fire the pistol with it. It's like, um, it's quite a cool blade, but apparently it's, you know, I've never used it in that sort of way, but I've I've done a few practices with it, and it's one of those. Um, it's to make space so you can draw a weapon. But it's, and I was telling this story. Um, I was recently on job, um, in a sort of a tropical paradise, and I was chatting to one of the uh, the wellness staff, and obviously they're not particularly in tune with knives and things and weapons and things like that. So I say, no, it's, it's, it's my space maker. So if I had to sort of, you know, vigorously um, stab someone about five times in the throat with it and then, and then get away and, and they were sort of looking at me with this, they were horrified. <laughs> but, and, then, and then someone did ask, Dad, what, have you ever used it? And I do seriously think I'd be telling that story quite as flippantly if I had. I probably wouldn't even brought the thing up. It was just quite funny to see. It didn't yeah. really fit really fit in that sort of area to tell that story about the knife yeah it's interesting because uh you know the the gentleman that we both know who doesn't like to be named um he you know we were before the course me and him sat down for lunch and um and you know and like he's just like we're going over different scenarios and it's like you can train on the system you know with a pen or a pencil and it was that like what he was telling me was that uh it's that mindset you need to have you know like even if you don't have a weapon on you you know if if, if like we were at a at a table so he's like you know if someone came on us i'll take this plate and hit him with it you know and then i'll take the chair and hit him with it, you know and it's just having that men- mentality that will you know we're gonna get out of here we're gonna survive that he was yeah. trying to really like drill into me you know yeah there's certain some of my ex um buddies are navy seals they they teach like biting tactics is one of their courses uh, yeah they teach you how to you know how to bite somebody uh to get a response so you know one of the bites is you know through the throat and um you know people don't understand that when we're in a uh in a situation where we're fighting for our lives rules are out the door man you know mm-hmm. i'm going to dig into whatever artery you know, brain, whatever is going to get a response. And if I need to use my hands or anything that's around me, um, it's going to boil down to, to that. And because we're, we're all animals, right? Uh, we just happen to have the ability to think. And, um, but we're all predators. And you think about a predator when he attacks, if you ever watch a lion attack its prey, he bites him in the throat, you know, initially. Yeah. 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 So, 
we we it's go good to know it's good to know a and p that helps you doesn't anatomy and physiology yeah you know where uh, i mean and, and I, t- I take that as a, and i say this you know i'm a girl there's like if, if anyone didn't know that by my voice but yeah. i need to i need that on my side so i need to know it's not you know for me to say hey i'm just going to go and wrestle with this guy makes no sense whatsoever so if there's some way that i can try my best to finish or get out of there quickly, then it's best to know vulnerable points. And when people say, yeah, um, you know, the groin's a vulnerable point, that's the first place that someone covers. So, and you're right. I, I, I learned a lot about the aim, you know, anatomy and physiology and just things that you could just, and it, yeah, it's true. That's for a girl. You need to, that's good information. Yeah. And you know, the thing about like what, what John was saying at the dinner table, you know, you know, you could pick up a butter knife, and jam yeah. into something's groin, and you will get a response. You know, you you're going to get a response, and that's what we're going for. You know, we're yeah. going for the, the response that I want. You know, either a you're going to get put down, or you're going to respond the way I want you to respond. And um, but yeah, that you know, biting tactics class was kind of cool when I talked to my buddy. It, it was more of a mindset, right? So in the end, it was more a mindset. The the mindset that you're going to fight for your life. You know, and there's no rules. There's no rules to it. Yeah. Yeah. But, hey, John, I hate to cut this short, but I got like 200 orders to process. Tonight. Yeah, I, I don't think you've cut it short, too. We've been going for a couple of hours now. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think we're at like two hours. <laughs> yeah. We're at two hours, 14 minutes. And, you know, yeah. It's been great chatting with you. I'm really, um, really yeah, pleased I, to be on there with you. Yeah, I listened to your podcast before, and um, yeah, I, I just love the content you guys deliver. And you know, you guys bring a lot of experience. You know, Chantel, you bring a lot of experience in the, you know, the combat medic world. Yeah, that's something I can never do. You know, there's there's a unique person that I, I think is chosen uh, by a higher cause to, to do that, and uh, I, I know I couldn't do it. You know, when when I applied for special forces, uh, they gave me 18 Delta because my GT. Oh, really? Yeah, my academics were high, and back then it was the old. <laughs> my my old instructors were going like, huh? Oh, they're taking notes if they listen to this. But back then it was the old, uh, the printers with the little holes on the side, you know. So I I penciled when I didn't like my MOS was 18 Delta. I penciled in Bravo, and, uh, <laughs> and became a weapons guy. But the the medic stuff, man, that's. That's a whole new level, and I respect all anybody in that industry because you're dealing with life and death. Yeah, as a warrior, we deal with life and death more on the, you know, in the, you know, inflicting uh, physical harm on people, but uh, saving a person's life is, uh, and that, that takes a, a unique skill set. And unique I often, per- but you say that, but I often find that the shooters actually are the ones when they do that their basic stuff really well. Mm-hmm. That makes my job easy. Yeah, yeah. So it's I mean, always it's always usually the guy beside them that does something that saves their life. And I, I'm not I'm not trying to be, you know, we're all we're all humble people, but that's that actually is the truth. Is that there's someone, the shooter beside them will usually do something that makes my job easier. Yeah, that's the critical time when as soon yeah. as they get shot, it's if they're going to live or die. If the teams know, yeah, what for sure. And that's then that's I've always been sort of big on that is that you know my guys I, I I don't want them to be doing all the the fanciful stuff or the you know teaching them all these um, great drills just get those basics well and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I'm a big believer in a tourniquet. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just get it on. And he'd be like, yeah, but he's not even bleeding. I've just put it on anyway. It's all good. Yeah, it's, put, it's, <laughs> it's not on his mouth because he's talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll let you go to process your kit and hopefully we'll have you on again. Let's try and pick another continent and we'll just hammer that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about it. Um, Asia is another continent that you know not a lot of people understand about. And yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's another complex environment. All right, well, yeah. I, I think it's like what, like twelve thirty, Chantel, where you at? Yes, it is. And if, yeah. yeah. So do you want to, you know, three, two, one, and then we do like a, a closing. <laughs> No, nah, it's all right, man. We we've been. I'm tired of sitting here, man. I want to want to get up. Yeah. All right, cool. So, how you want to close on your podcast, or you just? No, nah, what I'll do is um, uh, when I do the intro outro, I'll just drop all the links for your uh, website and, and social media and all that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Did you get everything you wanted, John? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More, more than I expected. Yeah. That was good. I always like those chats. You just go off go off on a tangent. Oh yeah. It's like team room talk. It's just it leads no. Well, that's what I said. I said that to John. I said it'd be quite nice if if it got like that where you could just have um I always thought of like the recon bar where you had guests in and just sit chatting I, I, I don't use the term like just chatting shit, but in in the way that soldiers do, you know, they just chat and it's all it's quite nice when it's just natural. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah, great well, to talk to other soldiers because you get their perspective yeah. on things, and so. And even when if people don't agree, you know that's good too because you could just different experiences come come out of different things. Right, we'll let you go because we're going to keep going on. Yeah, <laughs> I might right. come over and try that knife course. <laughs> yeah, come on over. In fact, we're um, we're actually pushing out to Munich, Germany. Uh, we got requests to go overseas to train. Oh wow! So we'll be in Munich, Germany, in uh, Taiwan. And maybe Beijing this year. Oh so. shit! Well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So this year was more of me pushing a little overseas to kind of, you know, meet meet the audience overseas. But yeah, it's kind of cool. No, brilliant. All right. Well, I'll let you go. I'm gonna. I'll chat to you later then. Hi, right. hey, arigato. Right, thank, thank you. Thank you, Shanta. Peace, everyone. Right. Thank you. Right, peace, Bye. Peace. Bye. It's always good to have two back on the podcast. You know, he has such a a long career in special operations and has so many experiences all around the globe. Obviously, a lot of it can't be discussed, but the things that he can share and the things that he can talk about is so interesting. And, you know, it, it isn't just like kind of chest beating stuff, you know, it's things that'll make you think a little bit uh, like putting yourself in the shoes of some of the people that they may be going after and trying to understand potentially why they may do be doing what they're doing. And, you know, it's really interesting stuff. And uh, Chantel also had some experiences in Africa as well, as she's had a, you know, she spent 12 years in the British military, but then she spent several years uh, working contracts in conflict zones all around the world. So she's, you know, pretty much spent a similar amount of time uh, working in war zones. And, it, you know, it's it's invaluable, to, in my opinion, to the experiences that people like Chantel and Tu have. And 
the willingness of them to share their experiences and their understandings with people is, I think, amazing. So, you know, I always appreciate it. And, um, you know, with that being said, now we'll close out this podcast. Chantel wrote a very good book. It's called Battle Worn, The Memoirs of a Combat Medic in Afghanistan. It's available on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Like I said, it's a very good book. It's about her time as a senior medic attached to an infantry fighting company as they had a very kinetic tour in southern Afghanistan. Uh, you know, they treated an insane amount of casualties. She was a part of a mass casualty event. Um, very good read. Well worth it. Uh, she's on Facebook. You can search up her author page. It's called Battleworn. Her Instagram account is mission underscore critical. Check it out. Once in a while, I'm on that account and I post as well. Two Lambs website is www.ronatactics.com. You can check it out. Two sells really good gear, gear that's used by uh, operators around the world. They sell belts, vests, and, and a whole bunch of things. And uh, they just put out a rifle as well. Two also has custom signature blades, tools, and knife fighter. They, like I said in the beginning, they run a lot of courses, so you can go on there for some course information. He travels all around the United States uh, teaching these courses. Uh, his Facebook is Ronin Tactics. His Instagram is Ronin Tactics. Just check it out. My website is globalrecon.net. My Instagram account is igrecon. The second account that I have on Instagram is Black Ops Matter. On Twitter, it's igrecon. On LinkedIn is Global Recon. As always, I encourage you guys to subscribe, download, and share the episodes with your friends and family. Leave us a comment and a review on iTunes if you can. That way it'll help us stay at the top of the government and national categories on iTunes. So with that being said now, I'll close out this episode and we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. Peace.